Hiya, folks. It's me, your old pal, Roger Rabbit, and you're listening to the Muck Pod. Hi, everyone. Uh, you're about to listen to our chat with Alan Parr. Amazing guest, very funny, very varied career. You're going to love yep. hearing about it. Uh, we did have some technical issues, which were our fault. We blamed Alan because it's funny, <laughs> but it was definitely a fault on our end. Something went wrong. You know, we're, we're still learning as we go, yep. but uh, we did get him back to talk about uh, his kid's book, Wilbur's Cosmic Cone, mm. which we were very happy to do. Very grateful he could spare the time to come and chat with us again to fix our mistake. Yep. But if there are some slight hiccups in the audio quality, or you can hear that there are a few seams uh, where we've had to do some creative editing, uh, we hope you'll enjoy the conversation enough that you won't you won't mind. Yeah. So, a little bit of slack, please and thank you. There you go. Enjoy our chat. And welcome to MuckPod, the MuckPuddy community podcast where we chat with the talented people who help us make cool stuff about what they do, how they do it, and what's inspiring them. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Marchin, and who is here with me today as always? I'm Simon Crane. I'm an animator here at MuckPuddy, and here with us today is Alan Parr. Hello. Welcome, Alan. And this Thanks is only me. the second time that we've recorded this. <laughs> A minor technical difficulty. We, we, we pulled the dad move. Some brilliant stuff yeah. i know i know Guys. like th- that was the best podcast we'd ever not recorded you're missing out yeah. on gold yeah wow. uh we've been chatting with alan a little bit about your history of uh what where of how you started off creatively and got uh to muck putty mm-hmm. do you want to run us through the the real abridged version of how you did that um started writing comic strips yep um for fanzines then for uh, the band space for though the band space uh, yeah the, the female of the species. That's the one. The, yeah. It's more it's deadly the than the male. More deadly than the yeah. male. That's, I remember that. Um, they're still going. Are they? Good in, for them. In, in, yeah. in, in one form or the other. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I started in uh, fanzines for them in Liverpool. Um, if anyone couldn't guess that my accent is not New Zealand strictly. Um, and then I ended up writing for theatre. In short, mm-hmm. uh, as a young writer. Cameraman for Shopping Channel. But Granada. <laughs> Dot, for Granada. Didn't they do other things, not just I shopping? I saw someone pissing through a letterbox in Coronation <laughs> Street. Oh, well, really? <laughs> well, yeah. I at guess. The, at the Christmas party. That counts as other things. Yeah. <laughs> See, um, they made, they make. They made lots of stuff. And, they and make we had Coronation Christmas, Street? We had a Christmas party on the um, Baker Street back lot. Oh, wow. For Sherlock Holmes, because okay. they made Sherlock Holmes as well. The, yeah. the one with um, Cumberbatch in it. I know this is way before oh, then. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, this yeah, is the yeah. actual Baker Street. Um, well, it was like a kind of uh, control set. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And and the Coronation Street. Yeah. Someone pissing through the letterbox. Whose letterbox and, was it? The Duckworths. I, I can't remember. And it, and it's changed so much. I haven't yeah. seen that show in like right. thirty years or something. See, like that, that's so. one thing that I always wondered about with Coronation Street bringing it up now. Yeah. <laughs> is that like the Duckworths house was right beside the Rovers? Was that was that the name I, of the pub? Yeah, the Rovers okay. Return. Yeah, Rovers Return. Mm. Now, if you go into Rovers Return, the toilets were like just right there on the right hand side, where the Duckworth house is supposed <laughs> to be. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the. T- How a, does that work? Like the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, it's like the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the indoor sets were completely down the road or something like that, somewhere else. Oh, yeah. They didn't go in. It was just like shells. Um, yeah, my mom is a yeah. uh, religious Coronation Street viewer to this day, and uh, Di Henwood has a bit that uh, still sticks with me because it's so true. He said, 
the theme song uh, of Coronation yeah. Street. It's like it's the sound of your soul leaving your body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there I go, out of the room. Every now and again, I, I'm having a conversation with my parents, and mums um, will lead in with, "Guess who's dead?" <laughs> and it's like, I don't, I don't know. So and so's died. I'm like, is this a real person or on Coronation And when yeah. I say on, is it the character or the actor? So we yeah. have to kind of go through it all. So, you know, it, uh, these soaps, they know what they're doing. They are a honey trap. You know, I'll be making dinner or something and I'll just see it playing and I'll catch, you know, a glimpse of some shocking and dramatic thing happening and i will just kind of slow down a little bit and i'm like where's it going who, who, is, is she gonna is she gonna live is she yeah, gonna get out of jail what's gonna happen and the cliffhangers uh they still work um so yeah. oh so yeah writing so, for theater dot 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 uh, writing for theater um then uh, eventually came over to new zealand um and various jobs in kind of uh, as a crew member on things, sort of corporate type of stuff, um, and editing wedding videos at one point, which was actually a great kind of way to learn how to edit. Mm. Um, and um, then I ended up working on a show called The Mo Show mm. um, with one of the ex-mucks, uh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah, yeah who is the legendary fourth muck. For, the fourth muck. And The Mo Show is a puppet show. Yeah, like Sesame Street, New yeah, Zealand yeah, yeah. Sesame Street. Um, uh, Mo uh, travels around New Zealand. Okay. And interacts does... with people? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah. like, it's kind of like, I guess, like the Muppet movies where they're, they're in the real world interacting with people yeah. on yeah, the street yeah. and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and sometimes we rock up to a location and, and literally have to kind of try and find some kids to talk to and stuff like that, wow. which doesn't look dodgy at all. No, no, no. <laughs> We've got waivers. It's fine. We're yeah, allowed yeah. to do this. Yeah, yeah. But so you've done, you've, you've worn quite a few hats, you yeah. know, comic strip, yeah. writing for theater, uh, right, right arm puppeteering. You're doing the right arm of Mo. Sometimes you're telling me. Yeah. Uh, and, and lots of editing. Yeah. And it was through the editing that you got in contact with the mucks. Uh, I already, I'd, I'd met the guys um, during the 48 hour film challenges because my team idiot vision with simon ward mm. was often in the um uh, auckland finals with uh mm. and I'd, I'd already come on yeah mm. uh, I, I started pestering them work in education or crew or whatever it is um you have like, sometimes like days off and so i'd often pester the guys on my days off i'd go in and say oh hey guys what's, what's going on mm. and um and I, I guess they thought well he's always here we may as well give him a job <laughs> yeah um yeah. to do well we were talking to um sikowski earlier um last week about how the interview uh to work at muck and it was the same for me it was very much just getting a read on uh you know the vibe is this person going yeah. to be good to work with yeah. which is almost as important as do they have the skills to pay the bills i think that it, i the guys realize that uh you know because they give us freedom to sort of do what we want yeah once we're in here um so the skill kind of comes with after the job you sort of you get in the door and then it's like okay so what is this person going to be best at doing I, here i never edited an animatic before in my life i didn't right. even track technically know what so we was. should yeah we should say that because that was in the in oh, the, 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 the last podcast the, the, the last, last episode alan is the, the animatic editor here in muck putty yeah there's a there's a couple of us um it's, it's mainly me and richard right who, right. who edited the animatics um um yeah basically okay so you have the storyboarder and then you've got the voices 
So we put those two things together and make something. It's almost like a pre-visualization. Most people mm. are familiar with what pre-vis is now because of things like the behind the scenes and Lord of the Rings and mm. things like that. So it's kind of like the episode before the animators touch it. And um, and it's to get a sense of the tone, the timing. Does the story work? Mm-hmm. Do the jokes land? Um, is it running under or over? And there, because that doesn't cost you really much money apart from the animatic editor at that point it's better doing it getting out of the way then yeah it's kind of the editing process uh before the thing is actually made it works opposite to live action in that we edit the animation we edit the the cartoon first in animatic form and that's what you know the the weird thing is this as it sounds bizarre but uh, because the previous job I had as an editor was editing wedding videos. It's quite right. similar in a weird kind of way because you don't get to go. I never went out to a wedding to film it. I just get this footage hmm. and I'd have to make a story out of it. So, right. um, and okay, we have the script and the story, but there's a, there's, it's, it's kind of a d- bit different if you're an editor at the end of like a drama or a, or something which is structured well, in a d- different way. Yeah, we were so, saying like with live action things, they can shoot a lot of extra stuff from different yeah. angles. So they've got lots of material and they can just cut away and find the stuff that they need. Whereas animation is so expensive to produce per second mm. that you want to know exactly what everyone's going to be making, you know, uh, what backgrounds you need, what shots uh, you need to be animated, all that sort of stuff well before uh, you start putting any time into it mm. yeah we've had a few moments where i've had to quickly message the background team and say oh hey guys um you might not need this background anymore because i've just done an edit and it's not in there anymore yeah it's like, been oh, cut. thanks for telling us because that's like a few days work yeah essentially yeah. so yeah well it's very thoughtful and another good thing about you know having sort of this all-in-one studio is that um yeah, we, we, we are thinking ahead of who who's next in the assembly line. How can I make their job easier? Yeah, yeah. And, and also um, being able to kind of contact the storyboarders and ask for particular uh, shots. Because sometimes, um, so sometimes the actor might do something differently in the booth. Um, so the tone might come across slightly different than what it seems to be in the script. Or they've just riffed, have ad-libbed, especially on things like uh, Chandler Burn, which is a lot of comedians Absolutely. who are very good at doing that. That's their job. Um, and we tend to kind of go for those takes as well, um, time permitted. Um, so you could go to the storyboard and say, we need we need a bit more here to play with. Mm. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't be able to, to do that if you didn't have that kind of relationship and yeah. accessibility to all those departments. And we were talking about the fact that um, because – quite a few of the voices are done internally you can just grab ryan or becky or whoever it might be into our recording booth in the studio and your way you can continue you know and i was interested um in what we were discussing about how being the animatic editor you got a feel for the characters uh a lot sooner than uh, maybe the rest of us, and that informs some of the writing that you did for a show like Quimbo's Quest. Yeah, that's right, because originally, before I started doing the animatic editing, the guys that tapped me on the shoulder um, to talk about writing for the show couldn't really hear the character well enough, because Quimbo and his very nature is a mix of all these different things, so I couldn't quite get a handle of what he was. And um, at, at, when, when you get the writing job, had Cohen been cast... As Quimbo, like, had you even he, heard his voice at this he point? He had, but the voice he does for Quimbo is not, not his anything like voice, the yeah. voice he does anywhere else. Yeah, um, yeah, which is quite a surprise. I don't even, I'm not even quite sure how they discovered that, but there yeah. you go. Um, I think they worked quite a bit 
finding that voice. Yeah. So I mean, so even you, through the series, it just changed. Right. Right. He, he finds it more. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So you get you get the job to write an episode of Quimbo. You've no idea what he sounds like. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. I I mean, I knew I knew what Ryan was capable of because I'd been watching that stuff for, since that day one, but practically. Mm. And um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite sure and tonally, and it, and it was basically I by editing the episodes and listening to voices. Then mm. the first episode I wrote, which I think was the turtle episode um, with the sea turtle, and um, it was like, okay, I've got it. I, yeah. I know what these what these characters are about, what they sound like. You know, sure. Mm. Finding their voices, not the literal voice actors, but finding how the characters, uh, you know, sound when they talk. You know, yeah. who their personality. Well, is. I always, I always think that um, one of, the, you know, when you've got a handle of the characters, where you're not really making up their dialogue, they're just you're just listening in on it, mm. and that sounds right. really weird, but it's just you're sitting there kind of listening to the characters talk, and you're just writing. But sometimes a character will surprise you, say something which will make you laugh, like genuine. You know, well, in, in a way, it's like the character becomes a voice in your head, especially yeah. <laughs> once you start hearing the voices being performed. Yeah, you yeah. can hear, well, this is how the character would react to this situation or what's being said to them. I mean, the first, um, I wrote an episode of Barefoot Bandits and and I just wanted to write lots of Reese Darby stuff yeah. because mm. it's like, you know what he sounds like. Mm. And he's, he's just, he just sounds funny. Mm-hmm. So you're writing things which funny things for him to say and and yeah yeah uh so i wanted to ask uh do you know all the muck putty projects that you've worked on so you've worked on quimbo's quest you've worked on barefoot bandits um drawing show the drawing show yeah, yeah. really like drawing show that was a lot of fun um uh jandal burn mm-hmm. yeah i did quite a lot of um jandal burn that's again that's a lot of fun because it's i think that's one of the ones yeah. which is the most kind of it feels like the cartoon I would have watched as a kid, mm-hmm. like I, I really liked uh, drawing show because it would have been mm. the type of show I would have watched. That's as a kid the one and, I always say, yeah, and, definitely. And, and drew along with it. Mm-hmm. I liked that kind of stuff. Um, but but Channel Burn definitely f- felt like the um, a cartoon, which is funny because the the episode of Quimbo's Quest, which I like, which is the one I wrote, was the Tuatara one, um, b- because. It felt very much like a cartoon I used to watch as a, as, as a kid. Mm. Um, it's kind of a bit more cartoony than some of the others. Yeah, well, some of the some of the shows, like especially Barefoot Bandits, uh, is an adventure show. Yeah, and Quimbo's Quest could even be that. You know, it's very globe trotty. It started yeah, yeah. off with this formula of every episode he goes somewhere to some part of the globe, meets an animal, wonders if he's related to them, discovers he isn't. Um, but then. Uh, the Tuatara episode is one of the early episodes that's just straight comedy. The way that was restricted that episode is we were kind of not running out of money, but we needed to make a, a quick filler episode, like a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. You would have heard that before. And um, so it was like one character and the Tuatara barely moves. And so that was a kind of way to sort of have a character. Easy for animation. Oh, easy yeah. for animation. Yeah. There's, yeah. Not a, there's not much of a rig to building that one either i've got an idea um, for an episode it takes place in a blackout and all you see is blinking <laughs> eyes yeah. um at the tuatara's house is um the only background and you don't see inside it it's yep. always exterior and there's a, just that one exterior shot for most of the episode there's a lot of stuff where he goes into the house and you hear him making a noise so you, so again great for animation mm. it's just the noise of quimbo wrecking the place yeah. inside and um so it was it was a restriction episode um, but it kind of 
yeah. it, it makes you think. Oh, yeah. There's even this point where he leaves the screen and he has a fight with a giant spider. Yeah. But you see none of it. Right. You just hear him at this amazing battle happening, and the two targets sitting there, and that's, and that's the, the comedy. Yeah, that makes me laugh. So I was like, yeah, that's I have that. How much do you consider um, budgetary limitations of um, making an animated show when you're writing? Because I always think that there's got to be some fine line between, well, we've only got so much money to make backgrounds and yeah. new characters and that sort of thing, but you don't want the show to be, uh, you know, itchy and scratchy sitting on a porch drinking lemonade. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely comes into... That was... Um, I remember reading uh, Robert Rodriguez's book, um, Rebel Without Crew, mm. and his big advice is, you know, write with what you've got. Mm. So don't write a uh, scene that has a bus in it unless you have access to a bus, if you're going to be filming it type of thing. And I always kind of think of that sort of approach where, like, well, what what can we do? What have we got? Mm. Um, so, but, yeah, I, I, I guess it does come into budget because there's, as well, you want things to go through and you don't want that to be the thing that stops it, mm. um, not having the kind of the resources, the money. Um, I mean... You, again it's all been in the same building i can always go, go to the guy and say how is this you know doable and, and also some of it just comes down to common sense like yeah we yeah. can we can yeah, have yeah, the yeah. character go to a new location yeah but it's going to be a lot harder if we have you know uh, a stadium full of cheering fans roaring as someone does a, a tremendous yeah. circus act yeah no crowds is usually a pretty good rule if you can film. avoid a crowd right. so much yeah. the better yeah and um, sometimes it happens but and circling back uh so quimbo was sort of comedy and a bit of globe trotting, um, mm -hmm. and drawing show obviously has uh, is comedy, but uh, there's the educational element of we are teaching children mm -hmm. how to draw different things, drawing techniques. Jandelburn is one of the uh, shows that I would say is probably the most straight comedy. Like, yeah, that's what yeah, the show yeah, is yeah. trying to do. Yeah, it doesn't and, take itself seriously. For and that show it's is just great. you know five or six characters uh, bumming around finding ways, finding ways to entertain themselves or make money. Yeah, or yeah they're mostly in their apartment, in yep. the Jandal store or at the fish and chip shop. Yep. <laughs> That's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it, you can do a lot more cartoony things than some of the, I don't know, you can end an episode on eight on something. Sure. Or that. So it's like, what, six minutes maybe? Something like that. Um, it means you cut straight to the gags. Mm. So it's always just joke, 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 joke. And then you finish on on the punchline mm. it doesn't have to wrap up with the moral of the story yeah. what would what did we learn this week kids oh, i love that you i love just jump straight um, to the next thing when, and, when a comedy you know. show is just unapologetic because i find yeah. that uh a lot of a lot of old cartoons that are just straight gags are about seven minutes mm. most cartoons for tv these days um are 11 minutes and they'll be packaged two 11 minuters will get you to 21 with yeah. ads that fills out to a half yeah, hour yeah. but with 11 minutes i find that so often even if the show's selling itself as a comedy, they do what you say and have to pad the episode with the characters stopping at about the eight-minute mark and learning a lesson. A character will apologize to another, and you go, it just feels very rote. We've seen this before. Yeah. The characters are going to be themselves the next episode, yeah, 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 being yeah. silly, uh, having conflicts. Why do we have to have this? Which is kind of what's so good about Jandleburn, is it's just there to yeah. be funny. Just there to make you laugh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I've noticed, actually, um, we were saying we were watching Malcolm in the Middle. That does oh, yeah. that as well. It doesn't apologize uh, yeah. for the end. And it, it often the episode ends without a kind of an epilogue. Yeah. It just it ends on a punchline. Um, that and door even, slam sound effect. Something like that. And even like in in yesterday's episode, they, they, tr they tried 
to get the characters to apologize. They, they, all the family had had forgotten Lois's birthday, and and she was like, "You're useless," and this and that, and and telling them all off, and and Michael Cranston or Brian, Brian Cranston, Cranston just goes. Oh no, honey, we we just can't. We're yeah. useless without you, and that was fine. Yeah, you know? just, that's never going to yeah, happen yeah. because we completely depend on you. But that episode just ends with them getting into a fight with a bunch of clowns. Sometimes they just want to find a ridiculous visual, <laughs> and they go, "What what won't Brian Cranston do?" Yeah, that's yeah. half the show. Cover him in bees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cover him in bees. Get him to uh, roller skate. Have him sing an opera. Uh, drink. You know how in like workout movies characters will put eggs and raw meat and protein powder into a thing and then he lifts it up i'm like right they're gonna cut before it actually touches his lips nope not brian cranston it goes all the way into his mouth it's shocking yeah there's there's an amazing thing about uh, malcolm in the middle which i i I don't i think i appreciate more the time because when when i first started writing for stage one of the things i really had to get away with is because at the time i was just absorbing the simpsons right so the way the simpsons has a certain kind of pace with the gags you can't do that on stage because oh, right. obviously it's live action mm. but you can't flip into another scene and you can't because people don't move like that and that's right places yeah. and it's when you watch malcolm middle is that has simpsons pacing mm-hmm. and it, and even sometimes when i watch it as a technical st- standpoint for the editing and the camera moves oh i know it's got some I'm incredibly like, that, is, that is really impressive uh for the performance and the camera to match the way they do and the mm. edit it's like that's cartoon pacing yeah which you can obviously do in a cartoon because you're not going to hurt anyone mm. yeah when you do it with a crew it's like that that takes a lot of like, people all on the same page absolutely you know? that's the thing that's striking me is just the um the ambitiousness of the camera work yeah like i went back yeah. and watched the pilot uh recently because i'm getting near the end so i wanted to start again and even in the pilot there's just a shot where um Malcolm has been put into the genius program at his school, the advanced learning program. And he says, being uh, smart in this school is like being radioactive. And he points up because he talks to the camera like mm-hmm. a soliloquy. He points upward. The camera suddenly is in an aerial shot above them. And you see there's a perfect radius around him where people are avoiding him. It's much more than just your simple two camera setup, you know, shot, reverse shot. They're doing crazy things. Mm. Yeah, and, and that that must be a kind of case of the producers or whoever it is in charge sort of saying, no, this is an important gag because mm. they will have someone saying, look, this is going to take about half a day to set up. Yeah. Mm. That's money. Do you really need this joke? And there, it's like, yes. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not to turn into the Malcolm cast, but there was an episode I was watching uh, a, a week ago or so where... Uh, they get into street losing because uh, the boys are, you know, destructive and like anything fast and violent and potentially mm. deadly. And there's a shot. And when you're just watching it, you take it for granted. But I was thinking about it. Malcolm is on a street luge, which is like a skateboard that you lie down yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's talking to the camera that when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, how have they done this? How have they recorded uh, the camera filming him? Uh, pointing the camera down at him as he is going at speed down the road. Like, maybe they... I don't know. Maybe they had, like, a car or something. Pro- got, yeah, got probably s- towed behind the car, mm. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah hanging yeah, out yeah, the yeah, back, yeah. filming him as he's being There's strung still along. still a lot of things in place there, but yeah. A lot of writing for um, kids, it's almost like the parents want to feel like that uh, the kids are getting something more out of it than just a laugh. I mean, I think a laugh is enough, but... You f- that yeah. you almost feel obligated to put some sort of message in there sometimes uh, with kids' material, just because it's almost more for the parents. Yeah, I'd say. Um, see, I think the most successful stuff is where it's just part of the thing. 
So you can have like messages in jokes and comedy and things like that, and uh, what some of the characters learn. I think when you hit the audience over the head with it, mm. then it's just sloppy writing. Yeah, you're just not writing it properly. Yeah, you, it's it's kind of because most of the stuff. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking of things like uh, where the wild things are. It's like you don't wrap up what the hell that was about at the end. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, the, um, this is the book of where the no, wild things are. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I mean what. I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I know what the moral of that story no, is. D- don't have a tantrum. Don't bite. <laughs> don't bite your mum. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I Eat your porridge before it gets. Yeah, cold. your dinner's ready. Oh, I mean, maybe the moral of the story is yeah, hang around with big monsters, all right, but eventually you're gonna get bored. I and, guess so. I don't know. And come home for tea. And, yeah. As a kid, I loved Alice in Wonderland, mm. and that's that's, that's about that's about nothing. Yeah. That's a weird guy from the Drink 19th century. Stuff. It was completely off as nut on opium or whatever mm. they were having at the time. And it's just a series of strange encounters with mad people. And that's it. But I yeah. absolutely loved it as a kid. I ate it up. Um, well, that leads us quite nicely to the fact that you have written a kid's book. Yes. Uh, Wilbur's Cosmic Cone. Yeah. Tell us how the book got okay, started. Yeah. So Wilbur, the actual dog, had a wart on his lip. Mm-hmm. And um, we it was getting a bit, you know, gross. And so we uh, took him to the vets and he had it removed. Mm. And had the typical cone on it, so he doesn't pick the, the stitches. Oh, okay. I was um, I was going to say like, if it's on his lip, what's a cone going to do? But yeah, it's so his paw it's so doesn't, he doesn't scratch okay. and pick his stitches. Yeah. Right. But he was also on like a lot of med, a lot of meds. Yeah. So it must have been like painkillers or actually, he's quite a nervous dog at the vet. So that was probably it. It was probably to bring him down a few pecs oh, and to yeah. kind of space him out of it. And he was out of it for quite a few days because it's pretty strong stuff. Um, Did you have a taste yourself? <laughs> but he kept um, getting up in the night to, and normally he, he'll, if he wants to get out, this is this is where we used to live in this apartment. He'd want to go outside on the like patio area and mm. have have a piss and stuff like that. But he just kept sitting outside on the mat and like whimpering at the stars. Mm. Like yep. he, I got a great photo, and I show this to kids when I do the um, when I read the book in libraries and, and schools. Um, as a little kind of say, oh, Wilbur's a real, you know, a real dog. Yeah. And it's sometimes good because it gets a discussion with kids about, like, it's inspired by a true story. Yeah. And I do. what inspiration yeah. means. And that helps them. We've had a few teachers contact me back and say, actually, it was a really good thing because they were starting to go into some creative writing. Nice. And yeah. it was good because they had an idea, like a jumping point. Absolutely. And it's like, oh, and that's kind of what happened. It was like, oh, and then what? So it was the next day you wake up and you're a bit sleep deprived. It's like having babies again. You know, the dog keeps yeah. going, oh, yeah, type yeah. of thing all night. And I was like, it's almost like he picked up a signal from with his cone, like a satellite dish. Mm-hmm. And it was during lockdown. It was like the first big New Zealand lockdown we had. And, you know, you kind of, you're a bit bored. You, you're getting through your work quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so I start, I wrote it originally as a, as a poem. I thought, oh, this would be quite a good story. But I didn't want to write it just as a straight story because I feel that reading kids, I often get a little, feel a little bit um, shortchanged when I read an illustrated children's book that doesn't have the kind of poetry element to yeah, it, sure. whether it rhymes or not. Right. Because it feels a bit of a cheat. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's well, kind of... Yeah, they're, they're light on dialogue, most yeah. kids' books, you know? And... Yeah, exactly. Well, it helps, it helps kids remember books. When it yeah, has a rhythm right. to it and a, and a, and a sing-songy kind of thing, yeah, you like Harry McClary. You just uh, even now you kind of 
someone says that I start like reciting it because the amount of times I've told my kids it. That's yeah. right. Um, and Dr. Zeus and, and yeah. um, you know. I do find that like when you're when you do have young kids, like you do read the same book over and over again. And it is sort of more like I tended what I did was I would pick the rhyming books. Like I particularly liked Dr. Seuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, they were more fun to read. I have yeah. an interesting you know? fact I read about him, possibly apocryphal, but I like to believe it. Um, apparently, the one of the first kids books that he wrote, he did because he had time on his hands. He was traveling uh, by ship. This is back in the day when, you know, you couldn't just take an airplane everywhere. You would have to take, you know, a couple of weeks to travel to another country by ship. And he found that to distract himself from the uh, rhythmic rolling of the ship, he tried to come up with, like, a sort of a story that could be told in time to it. Oh, wow. Oh, that's and that's cool. how... Oh, that's cool. And, yeah, uh, people who know stuff about, like... Um, is that his rhyming scheme, then? Because that's yes. what I looked into as well. About right. What's yeah, I've, I've, rhyming scheme. I've read yeah. blogs about, like, uh, like analyzing the different kinds of meter and tempo that yeah, he yeah. uses, and apparently uh, he's one of the best. Yeah, he comes right. highly recommended. He really knows his stuff. Dr. Seuss. Yeah. It's, well, it's very unique, though, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was the thing because you know, my kids at the at the were just at the end, the cusp of like my daughter Beatrix was just at that kind of moment where she was starting to kind of read herself. Yeah. So it's almost like, well, I'll write a story, and my kids were the first kind of proofreaders. Sure. And and um, so I I started with my son, who's a really good reader, and and um, he he was fine. So then I was like, okay, he's good. Now onto the. I think she was seven at the time, onto the seven-year-old. So it's a bit older than kind of what the book, but I often have that thing where people say, oh, what what age, you know, like bookshops and stuff, and people just want to know, what, what's the age at? And I said, well, it's actually for families, because, yeah. um, and I've had some great feedback from parents who say they, they actually think it's funny, <laughs> and they like reading it, um, because some of the stuff just does the head in. Yeah. And it's yeah. because it doesn't, it doesn't. I wanted to write something that was entertaining. Yeah. Um. I really like the Gruffalo, and the kids love that, and it, because it's it's funny. Yeah. Definitely. And it's entertaining, yeah. and the pacing of it, and what well, um, like you were saying, as the parent, you're going to be reading it. Oh, yeah. a lot. Yeah, you're reading yeah. it like, like. You get to know it off by heart. I feel sorry for the yeah. parents whose kids love this book because they are reading it every they night. Will, yeah. And but it's no, no, it's a good book. I would have been. <laughs> I would have been totally happy with this yeah. if my kids well, that's good. if this had come out when my kids right, were yeah. of that age like I would have been totally happy yeah, to read yeah. this over and over again well I mean I, I had to I visited my daughter's school and they um, had me going from classroom to classroom reading it so I read it like five times right. like yeah. as quick as it takes to read it five times and um, so it was good that it was a, a book that I could I I wasn't cringing you know because sometimes yeah. you're a bit like that you're waking up um yeah, oh, no, yeah, but, it's, yeah, it's got like the nice thing where it, like, it, like you're saying, it doesn't talk down to the kids. You well, know? that was not. Well, I used to do. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about this already. Um, I used to do theatre and education, um, and and they tended to be on. One was about the environment. One was about uh, disabilities. Okay. Okay. And so, quite like, can be quite complicated subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I always found funny was that um, kids, if you say if you give them an idea or a word three times that it just locks in, they know it. Right. And if you explain it, they just know it. And there's no, okay, the sense subjects, which obviously we're going to be t- uh, taboo, but um, it's like, if it's complicated, but you can explain it, you don't need to dumb it down. Yes. Um, yeah. A kid will just rise to it because yeah. everything, 
everything's new, everything's an education. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is no different. So, I mean, one of the things we, we did do is because there's a few words where my daughter got um, stuck on at the very back of the book. We have a little section which is uh, what's that word? Yeah, yeah, like glossary. How do you yeah. say that? What does I it really mean? like this? Yeah, yeah. What does it mean exactly? Yeah. So yeah. a few words that they may never have heard before, and like alfresco. Yes. Um, Eating outside. Yeah, that's but, what it but, says here. Yeah, exactly. But they <laughs> yeah. once, well once yeah. they once they have it, it clicks. I already knew yeah. that word though, but that was one of my kids' favorite words. And oh. you know what? I wonder, does it come from reading this book? And very well could. No, why Where not? Because like, I know it? my kid was talking about alfresco <laughs> Al all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, it must be this one. Yeah. Um, Snubbed, one. you know, that's something they might not have heard before. Yeah. And it's yeah. a good tool because if you, I guess if you just write a kid's book with words that kids already know, they're not going to expand their vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Dismay. Dismay. Yeah. That's a great word for a kid, you know. Yeah. If, we, if it little tiny kid just broke out dismay you'd be like oh i mean to be honest i think there's some uh from reading some of the comment sections on some uh news sources i reckon some adults need to read this as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, some really vocabulary yeah you know without being a snob but it is it's kind of i don't know it just and they're not hard it's just like a different way of saying something but it's good you know? yeah it, like quite often um person knows a word when it's in context but then yeah. try to explain That's it out of context yeah. because like a parent could be reading this and their child might ask them what does this word mean yeah and so much of the words that we use we know how to use them yeah but trying to give a dictionary definition of a word off the top of your head is very difficult uh the, yeah my um again um name name check my own kids um beatrix brought home some homework once she's learned to write and to sort of spell and she was writing the little sentence and she said, how do you spell the? Right, <laughs> right. And I was like, uh, what's the sentence? You know, and she said, oh, right. so, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, it's this one, you know, it's, it's T-H-E-R-E. But that means that it's a place. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the clue is it, it says hair. Right, yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. it, and, and she says, and there's a but if it's like someone owns something, it's the I in owning. I know that sounds weird. Right. That's right. how I used to remember it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I own this, so it's got an I in it. Right, okay. That's okay. the one for you to own. And but yeah. then there's also they are, which sounds the same. Yes, yep. but it's but it's, it's two a, words mixed yeah, into and, one. And she just sat there and just like and it's kind of know, right. like, just wanted you know, a simple answer. It was the simple answer. Yeah. You know, twenty minutes later, I'm like, and then this word, word, yeah. taking out all the dictionaries. <laughs> and she's like, I just, the, the only the, the only definition that I have like at the top of my head, ready to go, is because of a Simpsons joke. Uh, Homer needs every word and the sentence explained to him, including if. But Principal Seymour Skinner is instantly ready with uh, the definition of if, in the event that, or on the condition that. <laughs> that's in there forever. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, my word yeah. from yeah. Homer is like, oh, Homer, you are so learned. learned. It's learned, Pepe. Yeah. Learned. <laughs> the weird thing is that's one of those things where I just start saying learned. <laughs> right. Um, the joke becomes funnier to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's some, there's, um, there's all sorts of things which have stuck. The wrong thing is stuck in my brain. Yeah, I've said, you know, yeah. So real life, Wilbur. We sometimes, if permitted, and often they're very, very happy to have him. We have the real Wilbur come in, mm. um, which sucks for us because, <laughs> right. like, I wrote the book, 
Anna illustrated it, yeah. and this dog comes in and gets a round of applause. Oh, I'm not goodness. even joking. It's like, yeah. he didn't go to space. <laughs> yeah. All like, he did was he get a wart removed. He got a wart removed yeah. and then was buzzing <laughs> off some drugs, <laughs> which is a story in itself, I guess. Sounds like rock star behavior. Yeah, it's a, yeah. he's a real rock star. Before. So he got a cone and how's went he take, to how's space. How's he taking the startup? <laughs> yeah. Is he loving it? Um, oh, he loves it because it's like he's, he's a real, like, he loves the attention and he whines if... Um, if he's not being stroked constantly. So so when you, you take him to these, and he loves kids, so you take him, he's very kind of cuddly, and you take him to these things, and he's just mobbed like the Beatles. Nice. And they're like, well, but... And he just kind of stands. I've got a great photo of him, just like, Big smile, <laughs> stupid smile on his face, all these kids just leaning in. What do you think is going on in his head? Like, know, yeah. He doesn't know yeah. that he's a, there's so, a book about him. He gets all the glory. More adoring uh, nice. fans for me, Wilbur. Yeah, um... So how did you get Anna on board? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, working in Muck Putty, yep. lots of incredibly talented artists. Yeah. Um, Anna Lee is a background of, artist here. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, sport for choice, really. What, and I was, I was pretty, I am pretty chummy with the background team because they seem to be the ones I always wandered into and started chanting. <laughs> and um, when I'd written, once I'd written the story, I actually just went onto Instagram and just went through the McPuddy accounts and um, and I mean you are sport for choice the embarrassment of riches as it were um, but then Anna uh, had drawn some really cute little dog characters mm. um, really amazing sweet uh, characters very different to the style of Wilbur actually but still really good Okay. so I just contacted her and the one thing you learn pretty quick if you're in the arts and like we've all had that thing where hey it'd be great for your portfolio yeah, yeah. Being there's paid no, an exposure. There's no yeah. money, but the yeah. exposure. And it's I like, know. exposure doesn't pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's and you hate asking, especially when you're in it. So I said, I said, look, straight off the bat, um, no obligation. Yeah. I said, if you don't want to do it for whatever reason, you don't even have to tell me. Just say, no, no yeah. thanks. Whatever it is. I won't take it personally. I won't be offended. I won't try and persuade him or whatever. I, I yeah. said, but you're like first refusal. You're the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've asked. planting seeds, asking. Yeah, asking I'm just around. asking. I said, yeah. I don't know how we're going to do it yet. I just want to see if anyone's interested because I've just written this. I, I feel like, and you're your own worst critic, mm-hmm. but I felt like this one was just, it just came out easy as a story. And it just, and whenever I told anyone about it, you know, the old elevator pitch, People were like, that's such a sweet story. They, they liked it. Mm. So I was like, look, no obligation. And Anna just was like, I'd love to. Like, she'd been looking for something similar to illustrate. Yeah, excellent. And so it was just a happy kind of, you know. It all, the timing was right the for both of you. Lined up. Yeah. And as well, being in lockdown. Yeah. Um, so I, I basically just planned the book out um, on, I think it was Google Slides, with little notes of what I thought the page should look like on this bit mm-hmm. and there's a few things i wanted like i really wanted like a uh, like a center center oh, the fold. journey page the center, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So sure the, yeah. the page where because i always remember that in kids books where you yeah. where the book if it was landscape um wait yeah landscape you, yeah. there's a point where you turn into like yeah to see the image correctly see, yeah yeah because yeah. it that's a thing that books can do that you can't do on like TV. That's true. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. Well, it, it's it's taking advantage of the medium of a book. Yeah, you're, absolutely. You're turning the page yeah. and looking at, and that was an important pages. thing for us as well to 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 make a book. 
not to make a kid's story that we couldn't get made into a cartoon. Sure. You know, mm. or, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Yes, it was never meant to be anything but a book. Yeah, like yeah. I've seen plays before on stage, which they clearly wrote to try and be a film. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't really work on stage. They, they right. take their bow and be like, uh, licensees, come see us after the show. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so we wanted to make an actual book. And um, so there were certain things. Uh, but then Anna was so on the same wavelength um, she designed Wilbur. She, I, I can't speak for her on this, but she designed him so kids could draw him. Oh, right. Um, yes, that's right, like because that. I've been to um, an event, and I think you've done this a few times, where um, you'll have sort of uh, drawing workshops yeah. with Anna present. Yeah, how to draw Wilbur. Here's how you draw them. I yeah. know that uh, Mo Willems, who uh, created a cartoon that I love, Sheep in the Big City, and has gone on to do kids' books, uh, Pigeon catches the bus. The pigeons. Yeah, 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 yeah. His ethos is his characters are really simple. They're made up of super simple geometric shapes that kids can draw because he wants kids to be able to draw his characters that might be to get them doing it. Was, yeah, he was. And Wilbur certainly the same. Yeah. A simple but recognizable, distinct character. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's little kind of like the little pear head he's got, and there's little kind of fringe and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and then it, then a case, it was a case of the Martian dogs in the book were all sort of, we wrote a list of our favorite dogs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we had a Doberman growing up, so I was like, it's got to have a Doberman in, the, Doberman in there, and there's like a Boxer dog, and a Yorkshire Terrier, and all that kind of stuff. So and representing, she, really. Yeah, so she just drew um, like Martian dog versions. Of we've had dogs. we've had to name them since they don't have any names in the book. We've had to name them since because we've had T-shirts made of them and oh, that's cool. crochet versions of them so that we take to uh, just the readings and the markets and things. So it's a bit of expanded universe lore for the fans. Yeah, it's um, people who are in the know know that the pink dog is called uh, Poof. 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 There we go. That's oh, my right. daughter named him Poof, mm-hmm. and. And that one, I think, is obviously Yorkie, the purple one. Right. <laughs> or, that adds up. Yeah, I think he's called Brutus. I was going to say, it's like I it, think it should be kind Brutus. of a butch name, but like Professor Brutus. <laughs> yeah, he's quite professor yeah. with, his, with his clipboard at all yeah. times. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I used to re- remember, because we have um, uh, found a lady on Facebook who makes crochet characters. from. Oh, I have seen those, and those are excellent yeah really good adorable one of a kind they're brilliant i mean one of the things was um because we were doing like markets and when we do go to schools you know a book's very 2d Uh and it doesn't like you've got to be pretty close to it to to be to catch its eye so we've got crochet versions of them made which are great to take along to the schools and to show them and stuff like that yeah yeah yeah, they're they're really they're really good they're um, would that yeah. be the idea then though I mean obviously you can't crochet merchandise no but, but, not, of that, not of that yeah. not, not of that not quite scale. yet well yeah. I mean it, like, I, crochets takes a I, long I time I bet that those kids when they see those crochet oh, uh, dogs always, they want are, it, it's, it, it plants a seed of uh, I want that yeah yeah well the, the t-shirts are, look pretty cool Anna, yeah. did, I did, Anna did some special t-shirts for them we've got some of uh, Wilbur being beamed up like the cover is and we've got yeah. some of the, in the spaceship um but yeah, I, I mean, Anna did an amazing job. The the um, it's it's so like infinitely better than what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I knew she was good. Mm. But I love the, the it's like a simplistic but kind of complicated, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, the rendering, like the 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 like the the compositions are simple, but the rendering is quite 
detailed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you can see, like almost like even though it's it's digital, you can see the kind of like yeah the brushstrokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what that part of it is. What's weird though is we've got two black cats now. Oh, I just spotted one of the book. One of the, it has the book a, foretold your future. There's, it a, was black weird. Character, there's, there's, there's a, a black cat character yeah, in the book yeah. who's like a silhouette. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's meant to, it's the neighbor's cat in, in the story. But we've actually got um, Dusty and Neil. Mm. And Neil looks exactly like that. He's just this silhouette. That's um, funny. There's quite a few on Wilbur's Instagram account of, of the cats. I've seen them. They're quite chummy. Yeah. 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 He gets a bit annoyed because he's a bit older. <laughs> so we can expect Dusty and Neil showing up in Wilbur too. I don't know. Well, originally I wasn't Wilbur gets call another Wilbur. cone. <laughs> originally, I didn't wasn't sure about calling Wilbur. Oh, right, because that's your dog's name. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it was, um, but and that's why the owner in it doesn't have a name. Yeah, it's not uh, the owner isn't a boy or a girl. Yes, but, I noticed that. Yeah, um, they're never referred to as he or she. Yeah, right. Um, it's just a kid, just a character, it's just a kid, which is is great. And, and for li- for little kids, when you're reading it, like you know. Kids want to put themselves in the story. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, is some people thought it was this. Some people like to think, oh, it's so kid, any kid can put themselves in the story. Right. And some people go, oh, it's being a bit, you know, quote, woke. Oh, to right. have a child of non gender specific right. kind of thing, right? Right. But the actual reason is I've got a boy and a girl. Right. And if I had a boy, and it's too crowded to have two kids in this picture. Sure. So if I had the boy in it, then the girl's You're gonna picking go favorites. Yeah, yeah, I know. So you know how this works. So it's like, yeah. no, 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 it's it's, it's neither of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if do dogs know their owners' names. They don't. They I don't think so. I don't think Why so. They? Yeah. they know their own name. We we try it out with our dog, and I don't, I don't think he can figure it out. Yeah, he, he knows his own name, man. Yeah, they know their own and, name. And the being, noise of a cupboard being opened or a biscuit tin. Yeah. And they know specific words that you have to spell out so that yeah. they don't know that you're talking about W-A-L-K. Yeah. I, I think um, with the actual Wilbur, all you need to do is go to where the keys are. Yeah. And he just runs out the house ready to go. Yeah. Like yeah. They know our movements. They pick up on oh, them. Oh, they, uh, you, it's all, you must almost give off like a scent. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking of going yeah. to the shop. They sense That's your right. fear. Can we just, um, yeah, let's talk about, let's just bring it back into talking about Wilbur because the thing about this book is you self published it. Yes. Yeah. What was that process like? Uh, was that always the plan? Well, I, it's, a, it's one of those catch 22 things where you can't get published unless you've been published. Right. Uh, that seemed to be the obstacle. We were, it was like, well, what else have you done? And, so, and so, did you ring around like, I, I, like publish houses? Yeah, I did like some that. research looking into, uh, look, looking into it. Um, New Zealand, as well, is quite a small market. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff which is kind of they want to know what makes it Kiwi. Mm. Okay. Um, well, the dog lives here. You know, yeah, that's the problem we've. We do have, but not against it. Mm. He goes to Mars. You can see Mars from New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I don't know what that is all about, to be honest. Um, I mean, I felt like the book was quite inclusive because the fact it wasn't about any place or person. So, yeah. But anyway, so we, and one of the things when I looked into it actually is because I would be, I'd written it and I was illustrating it. One thing apparently is if you're a writer, they don't want you to be partnered up with an illustrator. Mm, they okay. want you to be brought into um, the publisher and they pair you up with a um, 
with an illustrator with an illustrator that they've chosen. Which is weird because when I think about all like Roldal, Quentin Blake, yeah. you know, all those kind of partnerships, mm. they only sometimes come into their own when they're partnered up with yeah, the, I, I don't the, know how the, the, the story that I'd heard is that Roald Dahl chose Quentin Blake because he saw his illustrations yeah. and thought this is the perfect guy he's the one yeah, I want you really my captured stories. that yeah. kind of feel of the Roald same Dahl. way that you went on Instagram and saw Anna's work and thought that's the one yeah and, and I also like um, you know I I, I, I know Anna um, and, and, and Anna's fantastic and I knew we'd get on yeah, I mean, like, you're going to have a good working relationship. You've got yeah, the exactly. inside track that other children's book writers aren't going to have. Like you said, yeah. you actually had your pick. And because, yeah. of, and because it was someone you knew, they were also willing to help you out with the promotion, you know? Well, that was the thing as well. Is like uh, Anna uh, brought um, her now husband, uh, Thor, into it, and he helped heaps with like building the website. And, and obviously, we Bad did. Bad Raccoon kind of, is the yeah, Bad Raccoon. Yeah. And we also. Um, well, one of the things we did is was we did kind of like our own version of a Kickstarter, where we made uh, Anna um, got a few key pages to completion, and then we used them to kind of get people interested. So right. we we did a few posts on like Facebook and Instagram and things like that, and we said, look, this is a book, and we'll be selling it um, if you'd like to buy a. Um, you know, a, an advanced, if, copy. advanced Pre-sales. copy. Yeah, sorry, mm. advanced copy, and we will sign it. So it's signed by, um, and we thought it'd be a funny idea to get Wilbur to sign it. Yeah. But then we also thought that's going to be chaos because you're going to because we said the first hundred copies will be signed because you'll end up with one good copy and the rest a mess. <laughs> right. Trying to get a dog to and do putting that ink time. on a dog's yeah. paw. <laughs> that's asking for trouble. It's not good. So what we ended up doing is we found a place in the states um, and we we. We got Wilbur on a little ink pad and we did a few different paw prints. Um, and then uh, my partner, Kate, she um, tidied her up a bit because he's got curly hair to, to remove some of the hair. This is getting very technical about gotcha. this now. And then we sent that, uh, we scanned it in and we sent it to a place in the States who made a nice little wooden, uh, and they spec, spec, uh, their speciality is making like stamps of pets. Oh, paws. wow. So wow. they made like this little rubber stamp Oh. Of, Wil- of actual Wilbur's paw oh, print. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was just about to get all, oh, you're saying this This is not authentic, this paw print, but it kind of is. No, it actually it is. Kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. as close as we it's can an, get it. It's and an impression, yeah. We take the stamp with it, us and then we stamp it in the book. Um, speaking of Wilbur being a big <clears> star, it is very much, you know, someone else sign these headshots for me. I'll give <laughs> yeah, you one, yeah. make a dozen copies. Yeah. Well, it's, been, it's quite nice because sometimes when the when we do the readings at libraries, often what happens is we'll, we'll, we'll do the reading and then we'll meet the kids will meet the real Wilbur and then what we have is we have like a table of crafty stuff so we have uh, how to draw Wilbur but also like coloring in mm-hmm. nice. um, and sometimes the kids come up to you with their drawings and they're like can Wilbur sign it so we do like a little Wilbur stamp on it with, like a little excellent sign of approval yeah. it's such a nice little added thing such a um, cool very good way of doing it and really it's, it, I, I don't know I, th- I feel like the whole book came about really naturally uh, everything kind of like I said, I'm not blowing on in trouble with this, but it, it just came out really natural, and and it never felt like a hard sell. Like right. sometimes when you do something, you put so much into it, you feel like you've got to convince people that it's as good as you think it is. Yeah. And with this, it, we whenever we take into a store to see if they wanted to stock it, because that's the thing as well. We have to do the like the legwork. Yeah. Ourselves. So like yeah, um, you, you so you got this published online yourself. 
But yeah, you, so you we, found knew, a company. we got we knew a print broker. Okay. And they got it. Um, they sorted all that out for us. Right. So got it printed, and and they sent us a few uh, copies, and we wanted the foiling on the yeah. I was going to say. So these were all your decisions. That, yeah. Like, it, like it's the, not just a well. The stars and the and the letters are inset, and they're and like gold and silver. And silver. And gold. It's not just you know. Beautifully, beautifully illustrated and written, but like the, the actual book, itself, book yeah. as it has been. Well, that was beautiful. That was important. We wanted something yeah. that would be like a kind of like um, just something you'd treasure, you know, and you'd, you'd have on your shelf, and you'd and and you because you'd and kids' books get worn out. Really kids' quickly. books do get worn out, but also like we've gotten rid of all our kids' books and toys and all that sort mm. of stuff. Like my kids have just aged out of it. Yeah. But when it came to the books, we've been able to get rid of pretty much like the clothes, everything. Yeah. But there was just a few books that were like, we're not going to hand this up. It. We're going to yeah, hold yeah, on yeah. to it. Yeah. Or you hand it down to like their cousins or their younger. Siblings. Yeah, you can do. You know well, what I mean? that yeah, kind we of found thing. we we did that with clothes and we gave yeah. them to the neighbors and toys and toys things like that. Yeah. But books, we just were like. I've read this too many times. It means yeah. too much. Like that, that sort of like that bedtime with a parent and a kid. It's it's like it's a treasure time. Like yeah. so you're when you're going through it, you can be really tired. Yeah. But you only remember it being like the I, best time ever. I yeah. that was my. I mean, I I um, thinking back to my childhood. That's the stuff I remember is going to the children's part of the library. So uh, we grew. Up, I grew up in the. Bergen Head in the UK, it's over the water from Liverpool, from the Mersey. <laughs> Try to give some context. Right. And there's a huge Bergen Head library. It's, it's, well, I say huge. It felt huge to right, a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, but it's very, like, grand with the big steps and the pillars and everything. But there's a big children's library section in it, which is just kids, just for kids. Great. Um, and we, every single week, went, got, you know, that's where I found Asterix and Tintin yeah. and... Well, yeah, so you're yeah, talking a, back to that. As a as a product, it's a beautiful product. Thank it's you. very yeah, no, very really, well made. We're really pleased with it. Like I, I, Everyone <laughs> did an amazing So then, when, job. when you like you you got a, a bunch of these printed, and then you sort of went on a tour around New Zealand yeah, well, to we, like we, schools and libraries and that sort of thing. Well, one of the things is um, we managed to we we had to put in some money ourselves, but not that like it didn't break the bank. Mm-hmm. But then because everyone, I mean, here was fantastic. Josh, I think you bought how many. I'm a, I'm, a, like a I'm a fun uncle to a lot of different yeah. kids, so I was like, "This is Christmas and birthdays yeah, um, for the year." Sort yeah, of. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Every every, uh, every babysitting job that I did, I was like, "I've got a new book for you," yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. and I did the thing. I read it to them, yeah. and uh, they get to hold on to it. And That's awesome. It's well, it's That's just great. a good book. I knew they would enjoy it. Yeah. Mm. Well, they um, so we had lots of support for work and family and friends, um, and then we and we also had this thing where because we want. We, we, we've been given uh, copies to like libraries and to um, pre, uh, play centers and stuff because we said, hey, if you would like, because we the first discovered books in our local library, we'd like to give the, uh, that opportunity to kids to right. find it in the reading section okay. in, in the play group and things like this. So they were donated. Um, so they were donated. So yeah. people would, to support us, um, would buy donation versions. Oh right, okay. Uh, to donate. Oh, um, that's cool. Hey, yeah. so it was yeah. slightly it was slightly cheaper, but it was still done at a cost that we could take take the knock. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was to build enough money, and I think half of the money we needed to print came from the priest sales. Great. And then the rest we put in ourselves, and then um, and we've made the money back now. Like, Super. 
Like we, the good thing is we're all work full time. We didn't need to make it to earn a living. It wasn't about making money. It wasn't, yeah, but it wasn't about that at yeah. all. It was yeah. just about getting a product out. I say a product. I don't like that product. Yeah, I know. It was. I know. That's what you call yeah. it. But, but it was you, about you, getting that out. There, when you, know? you are producing a thing, yeah, it I goes mean, beyond just the words. It goes beyond just the pictures. It's the whole thing. In, yeah, in and that's all in one. I think that's, that's the been the advantage of the fact that we've done everything ourselves. Is because we have that relationship with the bookstores and the schools and the libraries, like. Um, just a shout out to Tijerangi Library was fantastic. I went in with it and they were really stoked because someone local right, made yeah. this book that mm. looked professional. Yeah, yeah, it's and a real book. It's a real book. Yeah. It wasn't just a photocopy thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I made a book. and Because <laughs> they get it a lot, you know? Right, and, yeah. Anyway. And... Um, so and they were they were they told us who to contact. Oh, you need to get onto this list. You need to get um, oh. you need to contact these people because then they will sell it on. They're the ones who sell it to uh, other schools and stuff like that. So they were fantastic, and they were the ones we first went to to do. Um, they actually got me into it because I was like, oh, I'm a bit rusty. So they booked me in to to do to read it at the local play center or yeah. Hindi or whatever it was, and um, but they were great. And yeah. they they hosted us. Um, so and they contacted the <laughs> libraries for us. To kind when of, you're you know, doing that, because right? you're like teaching skills kick back in. Like you said, you were rusty, but like as soon as you get going, or did you teach older kids? I taught older kids. Yeah. Um, but I did actually do a lot of work like at Motat with birthday parties. Right. And, oh, yeah. I and, remember you telling yeah. me about the... Um, I used to do like, penny farthing. Penny farthing. Ride right, a penny right. farthing. Yeah. Oh, no, the old-timey bikes. <laughs> the old-timey yeah. bike, um, which are fine to cycle on, but getting on and off, that's the problem. Right. Um, and braking, you can't. So. Okay. You must have learned a little bit about them. Why were they so gigantic? Well, because <laughs> they had invented gears. Yeah, it's to make them go fast, right? I see. In order wheel. to go fast, it has to be a gigantic yep. wheel with a yep. big rotation. Because they had normal kind of what we look at and think of a bike, but they would pedal with their feet on the front wheel, like a little right. kid trike. You know the little yeah. kid ones? Right, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. That. But it was it was a lot of hard work. Yeah. And, um, so they had them like that. So they would go quicker and further. So and they're more of a long distance bike, <laughs> like a penny farthing, because I'd say there's hard to get going, but once you get them going, yeah, oh, penny farthing can really, really go. Go for clappers when you go, yeah. but and, and being high up is good because it's like you can see further. Yeah. But driving around a place that has inbuilt tram tracks that have just yeah. the same width as a penny farthing wheel, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. I I got them caught a few times, and you go um, straight down if that happens. And I mean, right? you've got you've got the vantage point, but that you've also got a long way to fall. Yeah, and there's a lot of kids who don't realise you don't have brakes. You just <laughs> yeah, want to step yeah. in front of you to yeah. see what this thing is. <laughs> so it's it's um it was it was great fun though. Was it hard to learn? Like we learnt on a field, in a field, so you could fall off. Yeah, um, okay. And uh, no, once you get on it. It's, it's okay. Like it's all, yeah. Um, but it's it's a bit weird, and you you have to have some momentum. Yeah. But, but the same as like riding the bike, you have to go. Yeah. To balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you ever try a unicycle? Like I have tried it, but a, I can't. It's a, it's a hard one. I can't do that one. Yeah. I can't do the unicycle. I think I managed to get like a, like a, like a couple of rotations. I think I went down a road on a unicycle. This was back yeah. years ago when like when a flatmate was. Yeah. Uh, he's seen the episode of The Simpsons where Homer went to clown college. Yeah. And my flatmate was like, that's a great idea. He convinced him <laughs> to go to clown college. He, he, he didn't did. watch the rest of the episode, right? He didn't <laughs> just <laughs> leave it out. He didn't stop no, there. He was I can't take this anymore. I'm going to clown college. Falls, thanks to The Simpsons. <laughs> right. But no, he went on and joined wow. theater groups and, and 
I'm yeah, juggling the whole thing, yeah. Fire wow. the whole thing, and, oh, wow. and part well, of that was to it. learning a unicycle. Well, if it works, it's a cool thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was the kind of thing he did for a few years. I think he's actually, yeah. in, he's got a doctorate now, I think. You know, okay. he's a smart dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not in clowning, I think. <laughs> Dr. Boing Boing. I, I, do you know what? I believe um, he started coughing up blood from the the spit in the fire and oh. he kind of went at this point you know what I'm done with the clowning really? this didn't come up in the Simpsons and he, and he and I think he packed it in but he ended up working on the Lion King and Circus Lion on the, on the, oh, not, oh, not like quite the, the Circus Lion but yeah the, the, the live shows wow. of Lion King and the costume well, the department the thing is you never know when they because way late 20 years ago I came to New Zealand and you never know when these kind of weird things I used to tell my students this, you never know don't turn stuff down within reason because the only reason I'm in this country is because at the time when my citizenship, uh, no, my working visa. visa was about to expire, is at the time I was working for CCS, which stands for Crippled Children's Society, okay. but they don't call it that anymore. Right. right? <laughs> and at the time, now in the UK, I did some theatre and education stuff. And also my mum used to work with learning support. So in colleges, so she would teach people who had certain disabilities. So she does sign language and she would teach um, people who had Down syndrome, for example, right? And they were just learning basic English maths and computer skills. Um, so I used to sometimes go with my mum and just hang out and do some photocopying and I could sit there drawing the comics and whatnot and play, use the computer. Right. So I had that kind of like, um, I was around people with, with disabilities. Right. Um, so what, some people are a little bit freaked out, but I wasn't. You're just totally comfortable, yeah. 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 So I had this weird mixture of unique things. And also when I was a kid, I used to do puppet shows. Yeah. Right. Really into the Muppets. Wanted to do ventriloquism. How's that so, going? Uh, it was fine till my voice broke. Ah, and it became okay. really tricky. But anyway, so, um, so I had all these weird, just smorgasbord of just useless skills. But then I came to New Zealand and I was working for CCS doing disability awareness, going around schools, talk to kids about disability awareness through the medium of puppets. Right, okay. right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I got the job because I had these weird things in, on my CV. Yeah, yeah. And I was 20-something, um, which worked yeah, it's like together, it, 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 complemented each other. And then, so when I was, when I was sitting uh, on Queen Street, you had to go in to Queen Street and they had to say, why do you want to stay in the country? And you had to kind of plead your case. Um, we were going to go in on my partner at the times um, she was in marketing and she had a higher position job. But I was right. on, like barely minimum wage for this. And I was like, oh, because I'd already started interviewing people for the job to replace me because I was right. that you were, close you to were going. You were sure you were leaving. Sure yeah. I was leaving. And then I said, oh, I'm going to have to. And she said, no, you can't get in on my partner's, um, you know. Right. Because you, your partner at the time was English as well. Yeah, we both right, came right, together. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, better to work. And she said, just, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a disability awareness presenter. And she, and she did like a double take. She said, yeah. hang on a minute. Yeah. She walked away for a 10, 20 minutes, came back, and she said, you're on the skills shortage list. Oh, wow. fantastic. This, so I got a letter from my work saying, yeah, we had interviewed people, and the only people we got was an English guy and a Canadian woman. Right, right. Um, so other bloody foreigners. Yeah, other bloody foreigners. <laughs> yeah, we may as well keep our own bloody foreigners. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's, in, he's, on the, he's on the list. 
That's great. Um, wow. So, so yeah, like it's like it's like you didn't. It's not like you had a, a, a written I'm, down plan. Oh, I've never had a plan. Li- yeah, all these little experiences <laughs> For or worse, you have. Never they they just come together in this yeah. in this sort of like uh, you, never, you, never you know, know cacophony of Alan. <laughs> yeah, I mean you don't. You, just a varied amount of experiences, weird yeah. stuff you've done. You just n- no idea how it's going to come into play. Right. Yeah. Um, I used to edit wedding videos. Yes, and this came in handy for doing animatics. That's right. how you appear, right? Because right. I knew more well, around the dead too. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is you would never have thought. I was like, "Well, that's a dead end job." Yeah, sure. Where's sure. that going to go? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah, the 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 moral is what uh, getting experience is never wasted. Yeah, you know? never no. turn the skill even down. If you, even if you don't use that specific skill, you get something out of it. And, yeah. and the way I was the way I was saying is, you get a good story out of it. Sure, it, it, yeah. it's kind of like even if it's a disaster, like. Um, like nothing makes uh, my wife Kate and I happier than going to a restaurant with bad service. Right, right, like right. We, right, we right. love a disaster <laughs> of a night out okay. because it's you dine on the story for yeah. years. Yeah, like, absolutely. Literally, we absolutely. Have, we have a horror story of a night out, and we just we, you know, we've dined out and for years that story. Then yeah. we have. Nice service, nice place, nice food, and we've forgotten about it by the time we got home. Like, sure. Did we eat tonight? You're probably, you're probably sharing the ba- story of the bad uh, service at the table that you're having the great service at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's if it, if it doesn't if, if it doesn't add to something, it's you get a, it's better than being bored. Very you good. Get a good story. It's out. Good, it's good outlook. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I've worked some dead end jobs, and I remember I remember the shocking customers, all the bizarre customers, yeah. the weird days. Yeah, and yeah. they're great. Yeah, yeah, like well, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but you, you were, are you done with Wilbur's uh, Cosmic uh, Cone now, no, or have we, you got we, plans? We, we've got a few plans. I don't want to say anything okay. to, to kind of, because I don't like the thing where you start talking about something and it ends up not being, to, and you've got to listen to it years down the line. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we, you know, he's popular. Um, I've written a couple more Wilbur books. Right. I've, um, I've written a Christmas yeah, R- Wilbur thing. I, the thing is, is um, what one thing I always wanted to remain true with the Wilbur stuff is, and this is my approach to writing in general, is it kind of always has to start on something that's real. So the you know, him going into space clearly didn't happen, but yeah, the lead up to that did, in a sense. Um, sure. And so it's always I always find it as a writer, you kind of it takes shape once you attach something to it that's real. Mm-hmm. So even in Jandal Burn, one of the episodes is Kev's learn how to drive. I think there's actual lines in that is from my dad teaching me how to drive. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you know, no, don't look at don't look at me, look at the wheel, that type of thing. Yeah. And um and obviously it's it's exaggerated and things like that. But I always found you've you've got to have something to kind of that's real. Yeah. Even if it's like fantasy and bizarre. Right. It's like just a, it's dogs. just a seed. Just it's just something you, you know, can kind of hang on yeah. to. Funny thing, um, that I know that you're a big uh, Edgar Wright fan, especially the books yeah. that he did with uh, Simon Pegg. But um, I was introduced to Shaun of the Dead in a classroom. You know, teacher didn't want to do a lesson that day, so they wheeled in, in a, a TV and showed us Shaun wow. of the Dead. This was, I would have been, you know, at least, you know, 14 or something. But just made it. My family, fifteen is it? My family was a. Uh, I don't know. I've already know. showed it to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> In my family, we're all huge wusses. I was the only one actually chilled by it. The, the weirdest thing about Shaun the Dead is, um, I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I used to watch it a lot. Is is um, they they're all very real, mm-hmm. and even though it's it's comedy, like most um kind of zombie movies, 
they're all fodder. So mm. they have like one note and you're like, well, that guy's going to get it. Mm-hmm. And in Shaun the Dead, you don't really know who's going to, who's going to get it. It kind of weirdly skipped one of the more scary zombie movies out there. Yeah. yeah well, even though the, it is funny the, because the you, where, you don't like, know who's safe. The bit where he knows that his, his mom has been bitten. Yeah. Like oh. that's the most touching yeah, part yeah, yeah. I've ever that's seen. Hard in to watch. And, and that yeah, actress, yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but I've seen her in other oh, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's yeah. got such perfect uh mom energy oh, yeah. and yeah. she's yeah. so lovely in that movie mm. that it's in addition to being scary and hilarious it's mm. also heartbreaking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. the only one that 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 like you really want is is dylan moran yeah, yeah. when he gets torn apart yeah. in that dawn of the dead sort of tribute yeah, it's yeah. like yes and he just gets you, his redemption yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just gets it dragged out the window yeah yeah that's perfect um hey while we're on the subject of movies that we love and inspire us, uh, I went and saw uh, a movie that I believe is pretty important to all of us, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, and yeah. I saw it at the Academy Cinemas over Easter for the first time on the big screen. Uh, my history seeing it was my dad was channel hopping and uh, he hopped past something that uh, just for a flash I could see was uh, animation and live action. And any time I saw that, I went and taped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in the age of VHS. I had a, a million blank tapes, and I was in the habit of recording anything that was on. Because, again, not being the age of streaming, if you missed something or didn't tape it, it was gone. It. And you never knew when you were going to see it again. Um, I thought it was some behind-the-scenes thing. Um, but instead, it was this incredible movie that... It just came fully formed uh, like this miracle out of the blue, uh, combining two things that even at that age I loved, which was um, old animated shorts from the 40s. Like I had, you know, clamshell VHSs of Looney Tunes or old Disney shorts, that sort of thing. Whenever they'd come on Cartoon Network, I'd be real excited. And uh, the film Noir, which obviously as a kid, I hadn't actually seen any actual Noir. I hadn't seen Maltese Falcon or anything like that, but surprisingly often TV shows would do parodies of noir Mm -hmm. and it was this window into um, a slightly more lurid, dangerous uh, adult world, which was very exciting. And how well the movie uh, combined those two things that have no business being together is kind of incredible. Yeah. I mean, it it would have been difficult enough to film a period noir piece full stop Mm. and then to add in, and an animated characters. Like I was just, I was just looking at the bit where they're, um, where it's quite a clever thing. Like uh, we see Eddie Valiant walking through the back lot, surrounded by all these cartoon characters. But then he comes out onto the streets of LA, and there are no cartoon characters. So it just reminds you, like you know, this is the everyday world. We see people catching the trolley and everything. Um, it's not wall to wall cartoon characters. In fact, they're kind of segregated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're watching Roger Rabbit, even without the cartoon characters, it's a beautiful looking movie. It's well made oh, yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Gorgeous. Mm. There's plenty of camera moves in there. You know, and you would think that you know they'd have the sort of sense to sort of say, well, there might be some animated characters in this shot, so let's let lock off the camera. It'll be easier to animate, but they don't. No, I'm. Uh, the, the, what's kind of almost depressing as well is now we actually have the technology to be able to do that relatively easily. Mm. Like we can motion track and we can. Yeah, yeah, and all. Well, and I mean, they didn't. Then they were doing actor, it by hand. That's right. And I. That's right. And, and <laughs> actors nowadays are used to acting to nothing, you know, if there's going to be like a dragon yeah. in the shot. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it wasn't so common back then. And and like Bob Hoskins' eyeline is always really Bang good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I, so impressive in that movie. I like the way there's one shot in particular where his eyeline didn't match, so they moved Roger Rabbit 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he stretches up against up. the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just looking a few inches yeah. too tall for Roger Rabbit, who's about four foot. And so they yeah. have Roger flatten himself against the wall to just you know make up that little extra yeah. distance. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The physical performance uh, that he does, um, interacting with this thing that isn't there, and um, you know speaking to it as if he's got this co-star. And apparently what they did was they had like a life-size rubber doll yeah, that right, he yeah. would hold. And Charles Fleischer, the voice, would be standing off screen shouting the lines so that they could actually play off of each other. And Bob Hoskins said, I actually began to feel like I was going a little mad because I would begin to project onto this character. Because I had this doll whose eyes I was looking into and the voice was speaking back to me. And I guess it's like what we were saying about writing. Like Roger became a character in his mind. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is why the relationship works between them. I had quite a funny story once that um because to get into character um the, the guy who played Roger Rabbit yeah um turned up to set dressed as Roger Rabbit yeah and w- when some some of the crew didn't you know you always get a few crew members who were just there to kind of as gaffers and things like that not in the kind of special effects side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, would kind of look over to the set and go, man, this Roger Rabbit movie looks dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see this grown man. Doesn't even look like yeah, a rabbit. He's yeah. just dressed up. Um, I was going to um, ask yeah. about, um, so that was my first time seeing it. Mm. Um, you were going to tell me about seeing it when it was new. I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw a Christmas. I think I'd gone to Liverpool and it was to the kind of um, Lewis's uh, department store um, to see Father Christmas. Okay. right. And it was like the grotto. Yeah. Where you go in the grotto, I had a little sister. I don't think I was going for me, yeah, mm. little sister. And um, and we went to the movies as well. It was quite a day out. And I think at the time they'd started promoting it. And it was one of those things where I used to love things like, uh, what's his name, Barry Norman used to do film, would have been oh, 88. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. When they came out. And that he would do a lot of film reviews, but also behind the scenes okay. mm. of uh, how movies were made. And I was really into how movies were made. We are talking about Sean Dead before. And your kind of introduction to horror. Mm. My introduction to horror was seeing the best bits of a horror movie while I was having my breakfast. And it was the movie that my parents had watched the night before. Oh, wow. So we'd go to video shop. It'd be a Disney or a Warner Brothers family movie for the kids and a horror mm. for the adults. And then they'd watch them like, you know, uh, Friday 13th or, um, you know, Evil Dead, The Thing. Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Is, and that, then, is this where you discover uh, American Werewolf? Yeah. Right. And, and they would, so there'd be a really good bit in one of these. And um, and the next day, I would just see that bit. Right. So, right. like, well, would, parents, they, would they tell you, hey, there was this really cool bit where yeah. Nancy gets So, my drunk. mom would be like, oh, there's this bit in where he stomps on the trapdoor and the squashes and the eye flies out right. and the girl swallows it. You've got to watch it. And I'd be sitting there <laughs> eating my Cocoa Pops. Yeah. Yes, watching we, this stuff. <laughs> I have a friend who's just got, um, you know, has a couple of kids, very young, you know, neither of them going to school yet. And, um, yeah, they're, they play, they play horror movies, uh, on their TV because, like, this is what we want to watch. And, I don't know if the kid is at the age where they register what's on the TV yet, or maybe the kid maybe is just not. desensitized. The kid's just like, yeah, eh, it's on a screen. Well, it's not scary. Well, no, for, I think it depends on the kid. Yeah. Sure. Oh, definitely. Mm. I mean, for me, it was because my parents loved horror, and my dad liked the old Hammer horrors and the Universal mm. Studios monsters and all those kind of things, the classics. So we were kind of surrounded, and had books on ghosts and stuff, and we were surrounded by that mm. kind of thing. But also, they would always they'd show me the behind the scenes as well. So, like, I remember watching the behind the scenes and like Return of the Jedi and seeing mm. like, uh, seeing like a dwarf uh, shoved inside um, 
uh, Jabba the Hutt to right. operate the yeah. tail, you know, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. And um, Warwick Davis putting on his, his little the Ewok, helmet. Ewok yeah. helmet. So I, I would see how these films were made and, and, um, and again, with like Roger Rabbit and things. And it, it, it kind of um, took away the kind of, it, this wasn't real. And, mm. and and still today, I love um, I love a good gory horror because I can kind of almost picture the crew just having such a great time, like blowing yeah. up their head, yeah. essentially. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's kind of how how I introduced horror to one of my kids. They walked in, and I was watching the one of the Rob Zombie Halloweens, and mm. it was the real vicious part mm. where, uh, like, a boy Michael Myers like beats this other kid to death, mm. and and like. I'm kind of watching the kids were being put to bed and, and I'm just watching them and I kind of <laughs> turn around and the kid is there like Uh-oh. and I'm like this is the worst part ever to yeah. walk in on and I just went you need to understand this is make believe like as soon as that happened Rob Zombie goes cut lunch and they all got up and ate yeah, lunch yeah, together yeah, and they're yeah. they having a great time and the kid just got it yeah, yeah. and now loves horror movies yeah, yeah. and a kid will probably let you know if they're prepared for something or not like, well if if had it been my other kid it would have been more trouble right yeah, yeah. they would not have liked they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they didn't they didn't even like um uh jurassic park when right, when yeah, when yeah. the dude is sitting on the toilet yeah, yeah. the oh, t-rex yeah, yeah. comes in through the roof like my other kid just at that point got up and said nope that was it. That, that was actually a, a big moment for me in cinema because I remember watching that and getting actually freaked out by it because up until that point, if that was to happen in a film, they would cut to a shadow. Right, sure. Because yeah. it just wasn't possible to do that, yeah. to have a dinosaur chomp on a guy all in the same shot and, mm. and then eat him right in front of your eyes. Yeah. Um, they would have just cut to like a big shadow or, or a reaction. A splat of, of a blood, of blood maybe, across the, yeah. 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 And, but to show the actual, I remember being a bit freaked out by that yeah. because I was seeing it all happening. And you'd just seen it eat a goat, remember? And yeah. it's like, I'm still feeling bad about the goat. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, this yeah. guy's getting killed. Now his goat, leg's going to drop guy, yeah. Makes no difference to a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, speaking of like, you know, w- judging when it's appropriate to show movies to kids, Roger Rabbit's another one where I mm. was kind of like, at what age can I show this to kids? Because I'm babysitting them. I don't want them to go home and have nightmares about Judge Doom with his scary yeah, eyes. Yeah. It's, it's very frightening. And yeah. also, there's definitely an, ele- there's an element of sex in the movie. Mm. Yeah, I was yeah, watching yeah. the original theatrical trailer for it the other day. And it's got like, it's really upbeat because, you know, they're selling it as a family film. And they go, this is a story of mystery. Murder, sex. <laughs> Come yeah. on, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I was thinking about this because I was thinking about Robert Zemeckis because um for like Back to the Future, mm. like when when you're a kid and you watch Back to the Future, it's about you know Marty being back in time and a mm. cool car. You sure. know that yes. was essentially what my taking from that movie was. Um, and you watch it as an adult and you're like, this is quite rapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like there's a lot of really dodgy stuff in this film that yeah. I had well, never really picked up on well, before. Absolutely, um, like, like the, the bad guy Biff, is yeah. a rapist. Yes. He's at try- yeah, yeah and, that's essentially what he's trying to do. Someone smarter than me pointed out, like this movie came out in the 80s during the age of uh, President Reagan, Reaganomics, and mm. you know, uh, g- greed is good, deregulation, all this sort of stuff, and. It is a very, you know, it's a wonderful movie, but it's very materialist. Like, at the end of the day, the reward that, he gets mm, that he gets is a yeah. cool car, yeah, a rich yeah. family, yeah. and the punishment for the attempted sexual assault character is, oh, he yeah. has to work as a janitor or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A blue-collar yeah, job. Yeah. How embarrassing. Um, you know, something that Roger Abbott, uh, that I picked up a lot more acutely this watch, uh, 
you know, we live in Auckland City, which has a big problem with, um, you know, car congestion. Mm. And we're discussing how are we going to deal with this going forward, you know, with the impact of climate change and all. And Roger Rabbit is about a bad guy buying up, privatizing public transport so that he can dismantle it and make a lot of money off all the new road users who are going to be coming in from the freeway. I, I can't tell you how many movies in like the past five years or so just stick the word gentrification into their movie and mm. they go, now we're about something. But mm. Roger Rabbit is literally about, you know... That's his plan. That's, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a very obvious, you know, racial element about uh, Toons being a uh, second yeah. class. And Toontown is kind of like the slum that they are forced yeah, 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 to yeah. live in because people don't want to be around them. Mm. And this guy's plan is, well... This group of people has no rights. Nobody's going to miss them. Nobody can stop me. I'm literally just going to wipe them off the face of the mm. earth. And this is going to be a development for uh, real estate. You know, uh, we're going to sell condos and this sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and I thought the movie did it very classy because the one thing people point out that Roger Abbott does not celebrate, and quite correctly, about old cartoons is shitload of racism in those yeah, old cartoons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah, the yeah. thing that yeah. I'm always, you know, enjoying a Bugs Bunny cartoon, then I clutch my pearls because, oh my, there's a very yeah. distasteful gag. So mm. I like that the movie doesn't completely ignore that. The way it does it, I think, is quite tasteful because it would be an uglier movie, Roger Abbott, if they included that or acknowledge yeah. that in a visual way instead they're like the cartoon characters are the ones being discriminated mm -hmm. against and yeah. it's how they sort of deal with the fact that it was a racist time in animation and in history when it's set 1940 you mm -hmm. know people yeah. are going around spitting the word tunes you know yeah, yeah, as yeah, if yeah. it's a real dirty word yeah yeah no it's a these are the sort of things that i'm aware there's, of as an adult there's definitely more going on in roger rabbit uh, oh, yeah. you know I, I, I think that's and that's where when you there there are other movies that have mixed live action with animation but they just don't have the staying power of no, roger rabbit the, the, i could only think of a there was there was a couple and i could only think of a few examples and the big one obviously is mary poppins um yeah sure um that does it excellently when she they jump into the um the pavement yeah um um, I think the thing about how Roger Rabbit um, did it is they didn't look like they were just stuck on. Yeah. Well, like, even like even Mary Poppins, which is rendered. wonderful, it is shot very flat. Yeah. The, characters, the camera doesn't move. The camera yeah. doesn't move. They're on yeah. a soundstage and the characters are moving back and forth yeah. either behind them or in front of them. Yeah. Roger Rabbit, um, they said, we want this to feel as real as possible. So we just have to find animators who are willing to take up the challenge of we're going to be moving the, the camera and you have to animate the character in perspective as the camera moves. Mm. It's an incredible challenge. And yeah. also like like um like reflections and shadows. Uh, yeah. You know, like even even the, the the sort of Roger Rabbit baby Herman cartoon at the start, it's made to look like a, you know, an old Warner Brothers or or, or something like that. It looks way, oh, better. Better. way better. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that, honestly, that was the part that I think had the most impact for yeah. me seeing, seeing it on the big screen because I recorded it off TV it was my mm -hmm. first time seeing it. And for me, the movie began in my memory in R.K. Maroon's office. It wasn't until years later on DVD that I saw that great short that opens up uh, the car, uh, the movie mm. and watching it on the big screen seeing that animation was incredible I was like this is a great pastiche tribute to those films you know uh, Popeye chasing Sweet Pea along the girder of the construction site but mm. instead it's in a kitchen Roger Rabbit chasing Baby Herman around but this cartoon has production values that no, no cartoon yeah, in the yeah. 1940s yeah. could yeah. ever approach there's the, the scene where Roger Rabbit you know classic cartoon gag he's been blown up by a vacuum cleaner it, yeah. and then he blows all the of room. his um blows all the air out <laughs> and it's like 
the the background must be like 40 feet long yeah. because yeah. he is just whipping around this room leaning into the camera pulling back doing just insane stuff in camera and by in camera i mean they're animating it as yeah. if the camera's moving it's and again but, today that would be relatively a bit more straightforward to do well because you'd be able to build a set on the com- exactly on the computer but, and move the camera but that's all in even in when camera. we were watching it though like back in 1988 like you know now you can look at it and and sort of with, especially with like a knowledge of how animation is mm. made, you can go, wow, this is just animated by an animator. Yeah. But back then you're kind of going, it looks so different because computers, yeah. you know, you don't know, you don't know what computers well, have done. You just know that I've not seen anything like this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, like that's, but it's not computers. It's actually just talent. That's yeah. you the know? thing is like people be like, when will we have another sort of watershed moment like Roger Rabbit? And I go, well, I don't know necessarily if there'll be one in in this same way, because this took place just before computers started getting involved in animation. Yeah. I think Aladdin was the first one, the first Disney film that they used uh, digital coloring uh, for it. Before that, right. it was all yeah. cell animated. So yeah. everything you see on this film, all the shadows, all the shines and, it's and all reflections. They're all mm. painted. They're all painted. It's yeah. all painted on, and it's just mind-boggling. And you can really. see the angle on on the reflections, like, like when, you know, you know, Roger Rabbit has gone across the kitchen floor, and the kitchen floor is really shiny. Yeah. It's not that they've just taken the animation of Roger Rabbit and flipped it upside down, which is what we would do. Which is yeah. what we would do. Yeah. But um, they've actually just animated the scene there, twice. There's an incredible shot uh, for, in terms of what we're talking about, the rendering of the characters, where they go into a speakeasy and Bob Hoskins bumps his head on the hanging light, and so throughout the scene, the light is swinging back and oh, forth, no way. and the lights and shadows really? on Roger Rabbit have to match that for oh, the entire yeah, of scene. Yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. have to do that, but you they know? wanted to do no. that yeah. to be like this character he actually exists yeah. in the space. Yeah. The light is interacting with him the way it is any other character. Right. It's mind-boggling. Well, even yeah. even right at the beginning when he grabs the director's coat, yeah. to ask for another. That's tape. right. And the coat, yeah. and again, didn't need like to do it, it. But yeah. there's a whole, uh, you know, that actor as well has, as um, he's got to perform, yeah, mm. to to the, that timing with it. There. And there's that prop made to so that jacket. There's that, and oh, yeah, just it, it's crazy. It, it was a state of the art it's, movie. It's like here's yeah. everything we can do with puppeteering, animatronics, animation, everything. There's one. There's kind of certain films where weirdly, the more you know how it's made the more you can't quite figure out how they did it. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. that, I think Roger Rabbit's one of those where you go, okay, I know the, I know how, um, technically I know how this, technically I know how it's done. Yeah. Which makes it even harder because I know how hard that it's to do. Exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. The more you know, well, the, yeah. just, the more you just know the, you don't If understand. you just say magic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just the planning though of let's just say that, yeah. that coat gag. You know, like that had to be done before any animation is done because they like they so they printed out each frame and animated over it. Yeah. Right. So before that, they had to be. He's going to grab the coat. It's going to have to fly up. The the um scene with um baby Herman in the pram and he's smoking a cigar. That was a little uh, robot puppet holding yeah. the cigar, which would move it around. A really thin little wow. arm so that they yeah. can animate the baby over it. Um, did it have smoke coming out? I, can't I believe it me. did. Yeah. Because I know there's where he pops his head out the sink and the water, it's actual water yeah, from a little water coming out. Damn. All those kind of stuff. But yeah. that has to be timed what what yeah. the otherwise baby hammer would look really weird. Yeah. Because he wouldn't be moving fluidly. Mm. Exactly. Because the cigar wouldn't be able to. Yep. Can you imagine as an animator though, like, you know, you're kind of you still have to make this thing seem like baby Herman, it still has to look like it's alive, but you you absolutely 
have to follow what the robot has done beforehand. Mm. You know, R- yeah. Richard Williams, right? Yeah, that's the, the animation director yeah, of the film. Right. Yeah. The guy was insane. Like, yeah. yeah. He, he, I mean, not just in Roger Rabbit, but everything he did, he said, how can I make this animation more complex and therefore seem more alive? You know, mm. he wasn't looking for shortcuts. He's the only guy who could have done it. Mm. You know, mm. um, I think about the films that followed, like Space Jam was mm. one that came afterwards. And immediately to me, that felt like a step down. Because oh, like yeah, Roger Rabbit is this event of like, here's all these characters meeting each other. Here's Bugs and mm. Mickey on screen together. Whereas Space Jam, it's like, so it's just the Looney Tunes this time. Just then. They couldn't get anyone else. Yeah. And then... Cool World. And they, a Cool World. That's <laughs> I've seen that movie twice, and that's two more times than anyone I, ever I has seen I saw that movie because of Roger Rabbit. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. And, yeah. And it um, just sucked yeah. me in, and, it, and it's, oh, it's... There's a weird oh, thing. I mean, like, I heard think, it wasn't going to be good, and I'm like, of course it's going to be good. Roger Rabbit was great. How could yeah. it not be good? And well, then you put it on, and like you're ten minutes into it going, oh... Well, Every, this, isn't good. <laughs> this is this weird phenomenon where every animator who didn't work on Roger Rabbit carried a big chip on their shoulder. There's a surprising amount oh, of people really? in animation who like, I don't like Roger Rabbit. I don't think it's any good. And they couldn't work. Part of me thinks it? it's that. Um, um, but Cool World is really interesting. Well, it's not interesting. It's it's a complete waste of two hours. But it does this thing where at the end of the movie, it drove me absolutely nuts. It's a young Brad Pitt before he was discovered. Mm. Uh, he gets dragged back to... They have different nomenclature. You know, they don't say tunes and things like that. But I'm just going to say that because everyone knows what I mean yeah, when yeah. I say tunes. He gets dragged back to Toon Town, basically, or Cool World. And um, he, they explain that the Kim Basinger character, who's just the stand-in for Jessica Rabbit, uh, killed him. And his girlfriend goes, well, you know what happens when a human is killed by a tune in the real world and then brought back to Toon Town... He becomes a tune, what? and then he comes back to life, and that's the end of the movie. And I, and I went, that is not only the worst mouthful of expository yeah. dialogue ever, but you just pulled it out of nowhere. Roger Rabbit is a really good movie for studying in terms of screenwriting setup and payoff. Yeah, mm. like the uh, the example I always think of is uh, a scene early on. Roger has been told his wife's cheating on him, basically, and he's offered a drink, and he drinks it, and he reacts to it by jumping up in the air and turning into like, like a, a, horn, a steam it? whistle yeah, 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 and right. all the glass in the room shatters uh why does that happen why does he react to alcohol that way i don't know it's just a cool animation mm. thing to show off you don't think anything is being set up in the plot but then later on in the film when he's about to be summarily executed uh eddie valiant his friend who's seen this happen gets an idea and says hey how about a last drink mm-hmm. he does I this don't want <laughs> and then he does the yeah, Bugs do. Bunny Daffy yeah, You don't. You don't. You do. yeah. I do. Yeah. I want it. When I say I want a drink, I mean I want a drink. <laughs> and he turns into the steam whistle yeah. and all the glass in the bar breaks. And they use that as their chance to punch out the weasels and escape. So here's this weird idea of him turning into a steam whistle when he drinks alcohol. If that had have come up in that scene where it became relevant to the plot, you would have felt, what? What's happening? Why does he do from? that? Mm. But they set it up earlier, even though it doesn't make that much sense because it's been planted in your mind. It makes sense. There's one example that I can think of in the film of setup not being done early enough or not being done at all. Uh, Judge Doom is trying to find Roger Rabbit and he's hiding out in the speakeasy. Oh, shaving a haircut. Yeah, he's knocking on the walls and he says, no tune can resist the old shave and a haircut. For those who don't know, shave and a haircut is like a seven bar musical yeah. riff. Shave and a haircut, do bits. Yeah. And he just says, no tune can resist finishing you this to finish tune. it yeah this isn't something from old animation shaving a haircut was often used but 
it's not a thing that people know the same way that like people know if you paint a tunnel on a wall a character can run yeah, yeah, through yeah. it people know that but this isn't something that's been set up in cartoons so i feel like they needed a scene before it became relevant and i have an idea of where it ought to be the bit where he goes to the income paint club he needs a password to get in the door the password he gives is Walt sent me and the gorilla lets him into the mm. club. It should have just been he knocks on the door, yeah. gives the special knock, and the gorilla has to open the door and say, two bits. Again, just everything on this movie works. Like the, uh, I saw the movie with uh, Chris McGurin, who works with us here at the studio, and he said after watching the movie, he was like, the thing that caught him this time watching it was like how good all the actors were. Like the guy who plays yeah. the studio head, R.K. Maroon, yeah. he mm. plays it completely as if he's not in a movie with cartoon characters. He's just the head of a movie studio in the 1940s, you know, hard drinking, fast talking, very cynical. Um, yeah, uh, Bob Hoskins doesn't play it like he's acting with. Not at all. It's just, it, it's just, a, just annoying people. There's a really mm. good yeah. shot <laughs> that tells you a lot where uh, Eddie like opens the blinds in his office and looks down and sees, you know, cartoon characters running around on the lot doing antics. And he just looks back at RK Maroon and RK Maroon is hunched over, busy at his desk because to him, it's old news. It's mm. not yeah. special that there are cartoon characters wandering around this movie. Um, I have one last observation oh, yeah. uh, about the movie. Um, me and Bryn have sort of cooked up this idea of um, Jessica Rabbit, uh, who this character is in you know in her in her own mind right because so much of the character is her physical presence yeah. you know when she walks out onto that stage she puts her leg out from behind the curtain but then the first thing you see after that is not her face but her boobs her boobs precede her because they're enormous and the story that i've heard is that um robert zemeckis oh sorry no uh richard williams wanted to find a way to make all the animated characters unreal in their movement Obviously, with a wacky character like mm -hmm. Roger Rabbit, mm. that speaks for itself. But he was like, how do I make a humanoid character like Jessica move in a cartoonish way? What he did was, during her walk cycle, when a woman's breasts would naturally move downward with her step, instead he has hers move upwards because they're just these ridiculous inflated things. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and same with uh, Judge Doom. Spoilers for, you know, 40-year-old movie. Judge <laughs> Doom turns out to be a human, uh, a toon disguised as a human. Uh, and the way he sort of uh. subtly got that across to us, well, number one, they're putting prosthetics on his face as if mm -hmm. it's a rubber mask. You know, he's got like super white teeth as if he's put false teeth over his real ones and like a big putty chin. Yeah. Um, and they've sort of painted a very sh sharp jawline very, on him as yeah. well. And, and w uh, when he enters um, in the third act into the Acme factory, he comes down an elevator and he's passing a bunch of wax masks. But in his movement, the way they subtly let you know that there's something not human about this person is his cape is always fluttering in the wind even when he's that's indoors. right i remember um yeah reading something about that so jessica rabbit physical presence uh unlike anybody else you know uh eddie valiant his jaw has dropped when she walks in um the scene that we're always thinking about is the scene where she comes to see him at, at his office and she's basically pleading for her husband's life but the first time you watch the movie, she's possibly a suspect. Mm -hmm. So the scene reads as if she is... Femme fatale. She's trying mm -hmm. to seduce him, like yeah. your classic femme fatale. Mm -hmm. uh, and the theory that me and Bryn have is that she is like... Um, she's like Droopy. In the sense that Droopy is a character who, no matter what he's saying, he says it like Droopy. You know? like. Well, she says, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn this way. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. I, like It's a very funny line because mm. it sounds like something you'd hear in a noir, but it's mm. about a cartoon mm. character. But what I think she's saying in that scene is like, I may seem like a yeah, sex symbol seductress, right. but 
uh, that's just the way that my character is built. In the same way that, you know, if Droopy was in a fire, he'd be going, help, help, yeah. police. The same way Jessica cannot help but talk in a sexy, sultry tone. Because she's saying, you know, I'll do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. And you think she's trying to sleep with this guy so he won't, you know, suspect her. Mm, yeah. But at the end of the movie, you find out she was telling the truth. Mm. She is every bit as in love with her yeah. husband as he is mm. with her. Yeah, she's devoted the, to him. One mm. of the sweet yeah. jokes of the of the movie. She loves her four-foot rabbit cartoon yeah. husband. Yeah. But so knowing that, re-watching the scene, everything she's saying, she means sincerely. But it sounds breathy and sultry because that's just how she speaks. Yeah. The scene that really drives this theory home for me, I think this is what the filmmakers intended, is... That scene opens with her, just the silhouette of her from behind, uh, uh, through the frosted glass of his door. She's waiting for Eddie Valiant in his office. And she's saying to herself, Mr. Valiant, Mr. Valiant. And I think you're meant to think that she is trying, she's practicing sounding innocent. But what I think she's actually doing is she's trying to sound sincere. She's trying not to sound like she's trying to seduce him. But she can't help herself because that's the way she sounds. that way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That that shot, by the way, of her behind the glass, I think may have been a last minute insert because you'll notice toward the end, the frame rate sort of slows down. The movie was very pedantic about making sure everything was 24 frames yeah. a second to match the live action. I think that maybe was taken from somewhere else in the film and then, you know, made to look like she's walking into the office. The reason that I think they put that in is because there's a deleted scene. Yeah, the, the pig head. Mm. The pig head. Pig head you can look it up on YouTube. Yeah. The animation was finished. Basically, the gist of it is... Uh, the tune, uh, the tune patrol, the weasels. They kidnap. They want Eddie to stop poking his nose yeah. into into the crime thing, into the into this case. So they kidnap him, take him through to Toontown, and the next day, shove him out of a moving car back where he, back where they started. And he's got this animated pig it's head so weird, over his head, I... and then he goes home and washes it off with chemicals. Yeah. And the reason that they had to take this scene out is because, well, number one. It begs questions that the movie doesn't need to answer. Like, yeah. well, how do you make a tune? Like, how do these weasels create this pig head? Yeah. Number two, it makes the dip, which is the special uh, concoction, turpentine, benzene, acetate, uh, that can destroy a tune. Because they need to explain, well, if a cartoon character can be hit by a bus or flattened or mm-hmm. exploded mm-hmm. and come back together, how do you kill him? You kill him with this chemical that he's created. Uh, and a uh, behind-the-scenes thing... Uh, those ingredients are what they would use to wash the paint off the of cells, cells yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. the olden yeah. days. So, but if Eddie is able to go home and use chemical ingredients that he has in his uh, home bathroom, it doesn't make the dip seem as unique yeah. or mm-hmm. special. And at the uh, and the third act of the film, Roger Rabbit has been kidnapped and taken into Toontown, and, and Eddie's following him. And he kind of has to stop and catch his breath because he hasn't been back to Toontown since the night that his uh, brother was murdered. And it's a big emotional moment mm. for the character. He even sort of symbolically gives up the bottle because he's an alcoholic. Mm. And he decides, I am going to go back into Toontown. I'm going to face my fears. I'm going to get Roger back. That doesn't hold any of the weight if you find he's out. Already been there. He was there yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually yeah, played yeah, this true. game watching the film. You know, films feel more real than a stage play or an animated cartoon. Mm-hmm. But they're still using techniques that make them, you know, unreal. Like the fact that you can cut at the end of a scene and cut to later. Mm different than real life um i'd sort of thought about it i'd never thought about how long does this movie take place over so i was watching it this time trying to figure it out the first day eddie valiant gets the case to tail jessica rabbit and he goes home that night and that's the night that the murder takes place the next day he's brought onto the case the crime scene 
uh roger rabbit finds him and begs him for help says he's been framed uh by the end of that day uh they're going to leave town but eddie puts the clues together and decides to uh come back and figure out the case he goes confronts rk maroon at his office he chases the kidnapped roger into toontown they have the confrontation at the acme factory and that's the end of the movie so it's only two days right the night before was when the movie started. Oh, yeah. Isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah. I, like, I, I'm sure people have done the same for things like Back wow. to the Future and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a fast-paced movie. It really does. Like, like you know, There's no a real-time thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's animation. Um, can't yeah. afford to. And animation this expensive. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. can't afford to waste a frame, which is why it's shocking that there's a whole deleted scene that they threw out. But they were right to. We actually went uh, on a... Um, not long after the... After the film came out, we went on a family holiday to Disney World, and they had a bunch of Roger Rabbit stuff because at the time, I don't even remember gummy mm. bears yeah. and things like that. They were in a big slump. Yeah, yeah I and think like like that's back when we were saying the Black Cauldron and things like that. Yeah, and their yeah. live and their live action fair yeah. was stuff along the lines of like Herbie. Yeah, Herbie goes bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go, it was quite exciting going to um, to Disney World because they were sort of really trying to kind of um, capitalize on the kind of Roger Rabbit mm. um, stuff. And they had a giant, um, I don't know if it's a replica or the prop just made permanent. They had the dip machine. Oh, yeah. At one part, like wow. uh, blasting out green water. Yeah. Wow. And, and the, this this was quite one of those moments where you're like, oh, my God, was uh, there was a, ca- a cafe at some point, I think this might have been in the um, what was then the MGM Studios, which I think is now called Disney Studios. It was another park within the Disney World Resort kind of thing. Right. And we we went in to get something to eat, and I kind of just sort of glanced over, and they had a framed picture on the wall of Bob Hoskins and Benny the Cap. Right. As a, like a still from the film, and then a little like plaque like you'd have in a museum. And this cafe had all sorts of uh, props from films, mm-hmm. and then. Right underneath it was the actual cart that they used for Benny the Cap. Oh, wow. But it was like the tires were flat and it was chained to the wall. <laughs> and it, it was just kind of like one, wow, that's amazing. That's the actual car that he sat in and with the guy in the back operating to shoot those scenes. Mm. But also really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> just chained right, to a wall. This is what's happened to so like It felt like it should have been in some kind of like natural history museum yeah. on a pedestal. And it was just stuck in the corner like out the How way. How does it happen? Especially it, in Disneyland, because only, you would kind of the think the film was still like I, fresh. I, I think it it stopped playing in the at the theaters at this point, but it right. was still like very much in people's minds. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, um, they built that whole area. I think of uh, of Disneyland or World mm. uh, Toontown in response to that, and that's where yeah, like yeah, yeah, Mickey's yeah. house in is. Dis- in Disneyland, I think it used to be like Mickey's birthday land or some, right. something like that, and then and, they built the like Roger Rabbit ride. There's the big Roger this. Rabbit ride, yeah. which I did go on when I was about five, and we yeah. uh, went to Disney World on a, uh, my dad was able to take us, thank you, yeah, yeah. on a business trip, so like, let's tag along, go to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, that's right. which is still there, but yeah. because nothing has been done with Roger Rabbit in about 40 years, some people are like, who's this character? Yeah. Roger, mm-hmm. Roger what? Because... It was such a huge success. They were obviously going to move and make a sequel. And the way they kept the animators on was they were making 
shorts, more yeah. shorts like you see mm-hmm. in the beginning of the film, and they would put them in front of uh, Disney and Amblin films. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had that, one. Right. That yeah. was, I bought the VHS of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because I thought they were going to stick that on. Oh, I mean, yeah. like most of those movies I went to see just because there's a Roger That's Robert right. Short. Well, yeah. you know, the sad thing is that I think they started sticking them like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a good film. It's very good. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. they started sticking them in front of films that they weren't so sure about, but they're like, if we put a Roger Rabbit short in front of it, then people will come. They did that recently with um, a couple of Wiley e. Coyote cartoons, mm. and one was in the front of uh, Yogi Bear. Oh, right. Oh, right. And I okay. went with my son to take to see it. We watched the the short and was like, enjoyed that, you know? Was it one of the CG? It was a CG one, shorts. but you know, it's, it's still fun. No, seeing, they're still great. To see Wiley get, you know, an anvil dropped on them. Um, and then the movie started, and my son at the time was, was only a little fella, and the movie started, and the first scene with Yogi Bear, and he turns to me and says, I don't like the bear in the hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I got used to you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they re- and we left. We just walked out. Oh, just, wow, yeah, really? I yeah. wasn't going to put up with it. I was like, well, I basically, I only wanted to see the Wiley Coyote yeah. short. Well, it's still been a day out for the kids, yeah. you know? Yeah, he had they, a great they, time. They recently <laughs> released on Cartoon Brew like some like early concept art for that film, and it's, you know, I think we're beginning to find better ways to use uh cg animation in a yeah. more stylized way yeah. like 2d animation but at the time it was just the age of like we can take a cartoon character and put real skin on them. and it's like mm. they Terrific. took yogi, the, the concept art is yogi bear like he would look in the cartoon but he's got human glass eyes and yeah. like real fur over it it's horrifying it is uh, no. um so they made a bunch of shorts, yeah. but then Disney and Spielberg got over, over a fight because they wanted, I don't know, Roller Coaster Rabbit to be in front of Arachnophobia, and Disney wanted it to be in front what? of some other movie. And so they walked away from each other, uh, and because, because they both own the character, it means no sequel has ever been made. Uh, hmm. And in many ways, I'm very grateful yeah. because I'd been thinking about it, and I'm like, the story's over. I think it wraps up his uh, Bob Hoskins, Eddie Valiant's character arc very nicely. Mm. And like, how are you going to top things like Bugs Bunny meeting Mickey Mouse or Daffy Duck meeting Donald Duck. Mm. Like you've done the big ones. There are a few cartoon characters that they couldn't mm. get the rights to, like Popeye and Tom and Jerry. But like, is that going to be better? I kind of think in this age of like everything comes back from the dead and mm. everything gets a sequel and becomes a franchise where mm. they're making movies and spinoffs. Here's the thing, though. We need to stop talking about Roger Rabbit because here's like five years from now, there will be four more Roger Rabbit movies. And you're not wrong. Okay. Because uh, wh- if they get one out, they'll well, get a lot out. Robert Zemeckis has been threatening for the past like 20 <laughs> years, I'm going to do a Roger Rabbit. Oh, thing. Like, really? Okay. Please don't. And no. Because he's not, promised he's never going to reboot Back to the Future. Yeah. And right? not, not to be ghoulish, but he, he made one of those statements like we've got a script it's gonna happen Ooh. and then bob hoskins passed away and uh tragic as that is tragic as that is i was like thank you bob tuckland for the team yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh no um you know as i said space jam came out that was already less impressive yeah now they've done things like um oh you know the new space jam movie that has about two minutes of animation crossed over with live action because when lebron james goes to toon world he's a toon and when they play basketball with live-action LeBron James, they're 3D animated like Yogi Bear. Mm. Oh. And now they've got this new film coming out, which in some ways is exciting. It's the first time we've seen Roger Rabbit in about 20 years in the trailer for this um, uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers film. Yeah. Done by the Lonely, yeah. uh, the Lonely Island yeah, guys. Yeah, I'm excited about and this. And it looks really funny. It looks funny. Because it's, uh, you know, set in the modern day. So 
Chip has decided to remain a cartoon character, yeah. and uh, the other one, Dale, has become a 3D Yogi Bear realistic character. He's had the kind of nip and tuck in the cartoon yeah, world. Yeah, like, it's yeah. plastic surgery. Yeah. He got an upgrade. The, the only thing that is slightly disappointing to me about that is the fact that the 2D characters, at least the main ones, whenever there's an incidental character, you know, a one-off mouse or something scurrying by, that's clearly animated by hand. But Chip and the other characters who are going to be mains, leads in the film, are just 3D animated, but rendered flat to look like 3D. And the thing I was thinking about was, you know, there hasn't been a market or any, you know, 2D animated films coming out in cinemas for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost wondering... Are there, is there a talent pool to make a film like that? Were they, did they initially think we want to make this with a 2D character, but we just can't find another Richard Williams who can do this? Yeah, the only thing I can think of really is like the Iron Giant was, to, in oh, my Iron mind, Bird. was kind of had the, uh, the nice mix between the traditional animation and the kind of bringing in the kind of CG with the, the Iron Giant. But, um, but I think with Iron Giant, they like, like they had this sort of, you know, the, the knowledge of where they were at with with computerized animation and that they yeah, were like yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't render this out to look yeah. like 2d so they they made it in 3d but then yeah. rotoscoped it yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah. and turned it into 2d that, yeah. that, and that way. was the 90s when they were still making you know there were multiple 2d animated movies coming out mm-hmm. every year so yeah. we've, got, we've got a stable prince of egypt here. was like the same year or something like that yeah wasn't another like that. Yeah. incredible incredible yeah. 2d animated movie but now that there's no call for it are there enough yeah. animators with that skill level? I, I don't know. And, and I guess most of the stuff, um, the kind of 2D stuff where you see on, on TV, like your kind of Rick and Morty's and Bojack and all that, it's quite a dirt, It's not really film. No, like, no. It's very it? different. It's yeah. asset-based animation yeah. like what we do, which is not yeah. to, you know, it's a different skill is what we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- it's a weird thing to remember, but you guys know Bobcat Goldthwait, the yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. funny voice guy? Yeah. Uh, he did... Uh, a series a while ago i don't know what channel it was on but um i was listening to him being interviewed on harmontown i think it was dan Harmon's podcast and he said uh, there's an episode in the series it's anthology and in this one um it's about a voice actor who's schizophrenic and he starts seeing the character that he's voicing following him around telling him to do bad things and when he decides he's gonna quit and give up voicing the character the character starts threatening him and it's like a split personality situation it's very cool it stars seth green as the voice actor and they did use oh it's happy I've heard of this. It's, yeah it's happy no it's no, got... no no oh, no no happy. happy was pat oswald wasn't it that's pat, pat oswald and that was a detective one and that yeah. character is 3d animated yeah in, right. this, in this thing uh the i think it's like a hippo or something no it's a bear following okay. seth green around this sounds um, familiar it's it is. It uses all the tools that we have today. Yeah. Uh, you know, superimposing a character uh, using After Effects, but you can tell watching the character. It is asset-based animation. You know, like mm-hmm. we would do in Flash, where you basically build a digital puppet and then you can manipulate it and you redraw bits that you need to change. But yeah, it's just uh, Roger Rabbit's just a once in a possibly in a generation thing where we're not going to see something exactly like that again. It's a really, really yeah. unique movie in that sense. Yeah. I, I can't help but feel like, yes, they could technically make another Roger Rabbit now, but, you know, it just wouldn't, Actually, it wouldn't have put the detail in. It's like you're saying things like the, putting the, the, the shades down over Dumbo. Like now you would just shoot it without the shades and then put yeah. the shades CGI in digitally shades. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a test you can look up on YouTube where, again, they were planning to do a Roger Rabbit sequel and Richard Williams didn't want to come back. He wanted to go and do his personal projects. Um, Eric Goldberg, who's um, a really fantastic, amazing Disney animator, he, he's best known for animating the genie from Aladdin. Mm-hmm. So he he he's the guy. The guys have got a signed 
Assigned drawing. Assigned drawing, yeah. Uh, he's the guy at the studio known for loving, yeah, cartoony stuff. That's, uh, I think he... The sleeve tattoo you've got designed. on your forearm yeah. is, uh, is Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner, designed yeah. by him. Like, that's his very streamlined style. Yeah. Um, so they tapped him to say, hey, would you be interested in doing Roger Rabbit? You know, another capstone for your amazing career. There's a test online you can see that he did, that he animated. So he did it the same way. They filmed a live action office. Uh, it's some other person playing a detective. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, uh, he animated it. And he's been redesigned slightly. You know, his cheeks aren't as round. He's a little more streamlined in that sort of Hirschfeld-inspired way that he mm -hmm. likes to do. But he still looks like Roger Rabbit. The only major difference is that the uh, the rendering, you know, the coloring and the adding of shadows, that has been done digitally. But because the movement, the drawing of the character is still 2D animated, it looks fantastic. All right. So it could be done. Let us never say never yeah. that it couldn't be done uh, well. And why not use the tools available to you? But um, No, it, it, there's... Because Roger Rabbit originally was a book, right? Yes. Very different, <laughs> very different from the movie. Oh, yeah. Now, this right? is the thing as Who well. Who censored Roger Rabbit's yeah. book? So I, um, I don't think that was the one I had, but when the film came out and we talked before about when something was on TV, that was all you'd see. It was the same with like something was on at the cinema um, and you wouldn't be able to go to YouTube to see mm. clips of it again. Um, and the book fair was at my school and I bought the Who Framed Roger Rabbit like novelization and i oh. don't know if it was the original or the novelization because i i, I was not a a, a big reader oh, right. but i figured this will be the same i'll just yeah. read this book and i'll be transported and and i remember kind of throwing the towel in quite early. Yeah, right <laughs> right i i also have a history with reading novelizations yeah. like the spongebob movie was a big one for me as a kid <laughs> i couldn't wait for it to come out on dvd so i bought the novelization i was reading and then Plankton said, I'm like, this is, this is not the same. Oh, no. Um, I did read the book. Wouldn't it be brilliant if the novelization was by some real acclaimed <laughs> yeah. Stephen King presents SpongeBob the movie? <laughs> um, I did read the, I read the original book, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, over uh, lockdown. I did a live reading of it yes. on my YouTube yes. channel. And it's, it's vividly different. Gary K. Wolf is the author. And the original story um, is about comic strip characters who live in the real uh, okay. world. And they can create, this is a difference, they can create psychic duplicates of themselves and they perform the stunts that would kill them. So like if they get run over by something, they create a duplicate of themselves that gets run over. And that's the plot of the movie because Roger Rabbit uh, has been murdered, but his psychic double is still around. He's like, I've got three hours or oh, three days. You've yeah. got three days to solve my murder before I disappear. Yeah, the oh psychic duplicate doesn't last forever. It's real dark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And let me tell you this about the book is that... Wow, what, the, the what was that guy taken when that guy <laughs> popped into <laughs> right. Well, the achievement of the book is that, honestly, it's a much better noir story than the film. Right. Because the film is ultimately a family film. Yeah, and it ends yeah, on yeah, a yeah. big happy ending with Mickey Mouse and Bambi yeah. all singing together. This is a true noir movie in that, like, not to spoil anything because it's worth a read, but by the end of the end of the story eddie valiant's worst assumptions about everyone his utter cynicism has been completely vindicated by everyone <laughs> it's a real bitter writer yeah. it really yeah. is though the story i've heard is that after the success of the um of the film he began writing more novels about roger rabbit but based on the film oh right yeah, and yeah, i, yeah, I, I have yeah, even heard yeah. i haven't got around to reading them yet but i've heard that like they even sort of reference the original book as like a dream that roger rabbit had just to be like it was all a dream i'm a nice guy oh, right. <laughs> so if they do make another roger rabbit movie they can pull do, one do they take one of his books or do Whoa. do they once again 
That sounds ignore like the that, book completely and that, come that up with something else. That sounds like a else. real '90s kind of film now. That that alternate version of Roger Rabbit. It yeah, kind of sounds like something like a Cronenberg kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I'm almost more tempted to see that than doing a direct sequel to the film. You know. This is your mission in life, Josh. You do you do a pretty good Roger Rabbit. I'm pretty proud of my Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. And, and the real skill is I can do the voice, but on cue I can also do the. Right. Yeah, yeah. You don't need preparation for that. You just, just a loose face. Oh, I tell you what, if um, old what's his name Fleischer, Charles Fleischer, Charles Fleischer, if he's too busy, that's a great cartoon name. Isn't well, it? Yeah, there's any like, career like, he could have gone into. Yeah, it? yeah. Well, he's also a doctor in um, what, like quantum in, physics. Oh, really? Like his YouTube channel is him talking about like some paper that he wrote that proved some incredible space phenomena. Wow, I, 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 think I you've so got to be... was not going to say that. I did not know that. He's like a he's a real eccentric, but an wow. interesting fella. Oh, wow. fantastic! I was going to say, there's a in the Nightmare on Elm Street one, they take Nancy to a dream clinic, and the doctor is Roger Rabbit. Ah, right. And like he's not in. He's also in um ah, uh, Back to the Future. He's got a small role in Back to the Future, but he's not. He's not. Not huge in movies that so if they he doesn't want to come back and do movies I, I, Josh, they, they Josh need to talk Holmes. to Josh here Josh um, but instead of um, Bob Hoskins don't, do you do you don't do a Bob Hoskins no can't really do Bob oh, okay. uh, whenever I needed to do you can't do a Cockney trying to do an American accent yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the Maltese Falcon guy uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart uh, yeah. Humphrey Bogart whenever yeah. I needed to do the detective I just went Roger you sure you didn't know where you were last night of course not Eddie I wonder what it was about Bob Hoskins that got him that role though the, the, you know, the only big film that I have seen, and it's not even one that people know off the top of their heads, it's called The Long Good Friday. Yeah, Long Good Friday, yeah. Uh, him, him as like a cockney gangster. Yeah. Mm. But like a respectable gangster who's like, I don't want us to be, you know, beating people up, stealing people's money. I want us to be a respectable business, but somebody's messing up his operation and he has to get tough to find yeah. out who's behind it. And maybe they just thought, well, this is sort of like a procedural film. But it, it's kind of weird that you kind of think, was there no... I mean, look, hats off to me was fantastic. I'm not sort of discrediting that, but you kind of have to wonder, was there no American who could have done it? Well, you said it was all British people, right? Because they were filming in Pinewood Studios. Yes, a lot of it seemed to be be, um, British guys. And, you know, I think about him ending up in that awful, awful Super Mario movie. And I wonder if it's a case of, like, Roger Rabbit on the page sounds like it could go horribly wrong. And then he read the script Super Mario, and he's like, I don't get it, but the yeah. last time I did a special effects movie, it went gangbusters. I saw an interview with him, I think it was on Parkinson or something, but it probably would have been Michael Parkinson's, you know, chat show. And he said uh, for scripts, he it was the cold bum approach mm. to scripts. Oh, I heard Where he yeah, said he'd, send, he'd always read his scripts on the toilet. He'd have like a pile of scripts huh. next to the toilet. And then and it was good. And wow. it was good. That was yes. <laughs> yeah. So his bum would um, tell him. I, 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 really I, every I, if, if the script wasn't good, he had toilet paper. Okay. So, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, At the right, Academy, they played a um, a film trailer that they're going to be showing shortly, maybe, you know, in tandem with Roger Rabbit, that Bob Hoskins has a role in. It's also starring Cher and Winona Ryder. Oh, Mermaids. Mermaids. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where the song, um, oh, it's in his kiss. Okay. Because that, really? yeah, she did that and that was... It was, it was, it was one where every kind of summer movie had to have a song attached to it. Yeah, yep. remember those? Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, and because Cher was a singer. Yeah, so yeah, I'll just get her to do a song. Yep. Um, um, Mona yeah. Lisa. Mona he was, Lisa, in, he yeah. was in Mona Lisa before Roger Rabbit. Uh, I always get Mona Lisa mixed up with the Crying Game for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the posters are similar. Maybe. I don't know. They're not even. Yeah, I don't know. It was another bleak British film. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, Brazil. He, he, he departed in Brazil. Oh, that's true. Terry Gilliam's yeah. uh, takeoff on 1984. He, he, yeah. the, the last thing I remember, because I think he pretty much retired from acting, and then he was in a movie that Shane Meadows, like one of his first, Shane Meadows who did um, This Is England and Dead Man's oh, Shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brilliant filmmaker. Um, yeah. And I think his first film he did had, he got Bob Hoskins to be in it. It was about mm. like a football club, sort of amateur weekend football club or something like that. Okay. He, he was in that. And All right. I remember the so time. So I'm guessing that was quite gritty. And yeah. Uh, shot black and white. Oh, you okay. Know, yeah. Real low budget type of stuff. But um, it just got, the, you know, got its foot in the Shane Meadows foot in the door, I think, on a lot yeah. of things. So. I think it's about right. time we pull this train into the station. Alan, where can people find you online? And is there anything you'd like to promote while we're here? Um, I guess the, the most straightforward one would just be the Wilbur book. So for the Instagram, it's at Wilbur Spoodle. So it's W-I-L-B-U-R underscore S-P-O-O-D-L-E. And that's Wilbur the dog. And yeah. also it was a lot of links to the to pictures from the books. And I think there's a link on the Instagram as well of mm. how you can get to the Bad Raccoon Studio okay. site, which is what we set up to okay. kind of um, independently publish the book. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably the best. And, and, and also from there, is there more links to Anna's work? Uh, yep, uh, you'll be able to, um, Anna's probably tagged in on quite a lot of the posts as well, so we right. can see, um, it's under um, Anna Draws, so it's at A-N-N-E-R-D-R-A-W-S. Excellent, yeah, very You're good. You're definitely going to want to be able to check that out, Yeah, um, and you don't want to plug your own while you're here, your Instagram? Is it worth following? <laughs> yeah, my Instagram at the moment it tends to be just pictures of my cats, Neil and Dusty. He doesn't um, like pictures of and cats. When are they getting their book? Um, well, weirdly, there's a. This is quite bizarre. There's a kind of. Um, there's a cameo of them in the Wilbur book because there's a black cat which looks exactly like Neil, mm. especially. Right. Um, but and the book th- was. That like, wasn't planned? No, the book kind of was sort of planned, in, you know, about early whatever it was. And the cats have only just turned their one today. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, the, the cats. Um, were quite a late and unexpected arrival on the scene. Right, yeah. Um, happy birthday, cats. Happy birthday. Yeah. Neil and Dusty. Neil and Dusty. Neil, uh, what, what is that? There's got to be a story there. Yeah, Dusty, because she was, she's very fluffy. They're both right. black cats, brother and sister. Dusty is very, very fluffy. And when we first got her, she kept crawling under the kitchen workbenches and picking up all the dust. Um, so we were like, Dusty, Dusty, spring clean. Right, um, and everyone thinks it's Neil Diamond because apparently Neil Diamond did a duet with Dusty Springfield. But okay. I, I'm a bit more kind of '80s my references, so it's actually I think it's Neil Tennant from the Pest Shop Boys. Oh yeah, yeah. Who yeah. also did who uh, did with Dusty with Springfield. Springfield? Yeah. Uh, so, how um, am I gonna get through that one? Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm waving. Also, a, I'm waving a lighter back and forth. <laughs> also, it's just I don't know. It's just inherently. I think it's just really funny calling a cat just a normal name. Yeah. Just Neil. Yeah, yeah. But you have the opposite yeah, problem yeah. with babies. Like if you give them too much, the name has got to be cute when they're a baby, but also sound like an adult's name when they're grown up. Like thinking about Malcolm in the Middle, I'm like, Dewey. I, I appreciate they gave them na- <laughs> all unique names, but how are you going to call an adult man? Dewey. <laughs> I was thinking like John Dewey, but that's the Dewey Decimal System guy. Yeah. The, the guy right. who created the Dewey Decimal System, his last name was Dewey. Yeah. No one's first name is Dewey. Dewey's got to be like a like a baby version of a real name, but though, right? But what would it be short for? Dewart? Yeah. <laughs> Dubert? <laughs> 
weird behind the scenes thing. This is the last thing I'm going to say about Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, but yeah. I guess because the Simpsons, the whole brand is their last name, the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Malcolm in the Middle went out of their way to never mention the family name. Seven seasons oh. of a family sitcom, and you never hear their last name. Wow, Do they have one? Uh, they 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 technically have one on paper because right. I think like when they started the pilot, they wanted them to have a family name. It's Wilkerson, but it literally never comes up in the in the uh. finale. Um, Malcolm is graduating, and they go, and now the acceptance speech for Malcolm. The, the, the oh, microphone right, leaps out. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Did not know that. Bet you didn't know that. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is me. I'm Joshua Marchand. I'm full of Malcolm in the Middle and Roger Rabbit facts. So uh, <laughs> you can follow me for more of that uh, at Joshua Martian. That's my name, Joshua and M-A-R-T-I-A-N on Twitter. Or I'm Joshua Martian underscore art on Instagram. Uh, Simon. Excellent. Yes, you'll find me, Simon Crane, on Instagram at Sicky Fondue. That's S-I-C-K-Y-F-O-N-D-U-E. And, and once in a while, I'll put a picture up there. And uh, you can follow Muck Putty and see behind-the-scenes stuff and get uh, information about where to see our shows on uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and now even TikTok. Uh, we've got some great stuff there. Uh, that's all from us this episode. Please stay tuned for more conversations with the amazing talent from our studio and beyond. So until then, keep mucking around. Keep mucking around.